Nashville. Now, now uh, starting off this podcast, the only thing that I've got stuck in my head is welcome to Flavortown. <laughs> and the reason is, uh, the reason I can see Guy Fieri sitting right in front of me saying that is because I just tried uh, one of Paleo Valley's new beef sticks. Don't worry, I'll, I'll talk about the podcast first before I get into ads. I'll keep the flow of the conversation, but I'm just saying they're fucking remarkable. Today's guest is my dude, my brother, Clay Martin. Clay Martin is a retired former Marine recon sniper who later became a Green Beret, has taught all over the world, has learned all over the world. He's an author of several great books, um, actually read three of them. He has more than three I've read, Concrete Jungle, Prairie Fire, and then his most recent, The Wrath of Wendigo, uh, which is just an incredible book. He has an, uh, just a beautiful way of illustrating things that are pretty, pretty hard to, pretty hard to digest. Not, not hard to understand, but just hard to digest, hard to stomach uh, conversations. And he does so in a way that is hilarious, where where comedic relief is actually necessary. It's actually damn necessary. And um, I just love Clay. He's been working with my buddy Tucker Max and a few of us other guys. Um, been out to our ranch in Lockhart, and he's doing some really cool things from a training and tactical side. He is a long long shot specialist. Uh, he's got the guys doing some really weird shit, which is awesome because I love, I love people who, who take, you know, the, they take what's there and they say, let me see if I can expand upon this and not just to fly in the face of tradition, but because they think they can do it better. And then the hunch, not all the time, but sometimes the hunch is right. And so he's training a lot of, a lot of distance shooting with 22 LR, which is insane. If you've, if you've never shot then this none of this makes sense. But if you've shot, then you'd know that that's a very tiny round to shoot distance with. And how does that then translate? But he's helping it to translate. Um, you know, more importantly than any of this stuff is Clay's mindset on a lot of what's happened in the last few years is shared by many people. And um, whether it, you know, as I talked about in the Tucker podcast, this may or may not shake out to be a bad way, but understanding what's on the line if you've ever been outside of this country and have have seen war tour countries um it's it becomes more real i guess would be the way to put it you know if you've if you've only stayed in your town your whole life and you, small town or big town doesn't matter you're only used to seeing what you're seeing you might not even understand why people believe what they believe in silicon valley or, or new york city you might not understand why people believe what they believe in the south and it's not to say that they're universal beliefs in any one single location but uh, if you're a homer and you've never left your town, the odds are that you're not going to have real understanding of what's going on in different parts of the world and, and the potentials for danger. We have not experienced anything here. World War II was fought on someone else's soil. Um, prior to that, I mean, I don't have any relatives that were around for the Civil War. I don't have any relatives around for the Revolutionary War. And the game has changed since then, obviously. There's all sorts of fucking weapons that are out right now that, uh, that make it a little nerve-wracking. But should shit ever hit the fan here, I'd rather be as prepared as possible to make sure that, that you know I can sleep at night. Really, that's what it boils down to. I want to be able to sleep at night and not stay up late worrying about my kids, worrying about what future holds for them or any of that stuff. And Clay, to a great degree, has helped me to have been able to do that. And so I have a ton of love and a ton of respect for Clay. And um, thank you, brother. Thank you for being on the show. And thank you for, for doing what you do because it has, it has changed my life for the better. It has allowed me to sleep well and has allowed me to know that I've, I've actually made a deposit into, uh, 
into doing, doing whatever homework I need to do in preparation for one potential outcome of the future. May not be the outcome. And that's fine. If, if, as I talked about with Tucker, you know, if we, start, if we start a regenerative farm, both of us started regenerative farms, and he's starting a school, and I homeschool and unschool and get my kids in nature, and he's got his kids in nature, and we teach them art and real history and uh, how to survive, survival skills like building a fire, hunting, how to press your own bullets, archery. If that's, if that's what we do, is have we made any mistakes there? No. We gave our kids the best life possible. And, and in becoming the parents that can teach that stuff, was there any mistake in that? No, we became the best protector possible. You know, that's what sheepdog is all about. Can I, can I protect those who are unwilling or unable to protect themselves? And if you become a sheepdog, that's something that you, you learn very quickly. You know, Tim said between level one and level two, he's, he didn't offer level two for years and uh, the protector course. And then he finally offered level two. And uh, one of the things he told us in level one, he's like, most of you should not apply for level two. Keep coming back to level one, train on your own, dry fire every day, start jujitsu training, do all these things, and then apply for level two when you've actually got some experience in jujitsu and some experience in combatives and some experience shooting regularly. And only then apply. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, level two, he was saying like, look, if you, if you like coming to these and you think it's fun, um, but you don't want to carry, you don't want to conceal and carry, or you don't practice, or you don't do any of these things. You're not, you're not a sheepdog. Don't fucking think of yourself that way. Don't think of yourself as a protector. Don't think of yourself as one of the good guys because you're not, you're not, you're just faking it. And if you, and if you are, if you do want to be that thing, then understand what the requirement of that is. The requirement of that is that you do train it. The requirement is that you do keep your short sharp and the requirement is that you continue to learn and educate yourself and educate those around you on best practices, from, whether that's from what kind of food does best over time to um, how can I turn pond water or pool water into useful drinkable water for my family if a grid goes down? What type of machinery can I get that helps back up uh, solar panels from batteries to, I mean, got a buddy thinking about getting one of the, the cyber trucks just because of the ability for that to juice his house on a full charge for a few days if California's grid goes down. There's many of ways that we can dive into that. Um, and this, this podcast isn't necessarily on prepping for sure. It's really a lot about Clay's background in the military, which I just was curious about. I had no idea. Um, I knew an injury had, had uh, ended his career, as with most uh, people, or, or quite a few people, rather, in, in armed forces. I did not know it was a series of injuries, and I did not know what those series of injuries were. So uh, it was eye-opening and awesome to get to chat with Clay. He will be back on this podcast again, for sure. Um, the more that I train and learn from Clay, the more I'm going to try to get to share with you guys. And he's just a phenomenal guy. Um, definitely someone you guys want to know. Uh, if this, any of this interests you, I would start with Concrete Jungle and Prairie Fire. They're very short. You can listen to them on Audible. They're maybe four hours a piece. And if that vibes with you and it's something that you want to understand, like how would this potentially play out? The Wrath of Wendigo is a phenomenal book, um, fiction, which really dives into the potentials of this actually manifesting. So fiction, of course, guys, fiction, of course. All right. Many ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, share it with somebody that you know is down, somebody that's interested in this topic for the specific podcast today. Somebody that's like, yeah, man, I'm into guns or yeah, man, I'm into potential zombie apocalypse. Whatever the case is, hook them up, share it with them. Uh, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life. Organifi is continuing through the end of the year to give out free swag, free gear, 
Um, and no, it's not t-shirts and shit like that. They're going to give you my favorite supplements they make, which is awesome. Uh, I love Organifi through and through, and I'll talk about them here in a minute. But check them out. Leave us a five-star rating. Only two of you entered last week, so it was a fucking coin toss on who's going to win. Like, you have a very high chance, a very high percentage if you leave us a five-star rating, especially on iTunes. If you leave us a, if you leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life, you have a very high chance of Organifi hooking you up with a, with a product. Leave your at whatever sign, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and just throw IG next to it or Twitter or um, Facebook if you're still on that jazz. And we'll, we'll be able to contact you and get it out to you easily. And that's about it. Support these sponsors because they make this show possible. This episode is brought to you by one of my longest sponsors, paleovalley.com. We had Autumn Smith on the podcast and she brought it. She is absolutely incredible. She's learned a lot from Fred Provenza, um, author of several books. He wrote the book Nourishment, was recently on Paul Check's Living 4D podcast, which I absolutely loved. He's going to come on this podcast soon. And... Um, Autumn is, is diving deep into this stuff. She doesn't just understand it from, a, from a, a business standpoint. She understands it from the science standpoint, from the nature standpoint. She's all in on every angle. And I love that about Paleo Valley is that everyone working for her is really about the movement of regenerative agriculture. And everyone that they work with and source from is also about that movement. They're doing the same thing that I'm doing on my tiny ass farm, doing the same thing Daniel Griffith is doing on his 400 acres out in Virginia people that really have the totality of the system involved, meaning, you know, can I leave this thing more whole than when I started? Can I create a functioning ecosystem that operates better than when we started tinkering with it? And, um, and not to say you don't tinker with it, but just to say, like, I want this outcome to be better for the soil, better for the air quality, better for the water supply, the hydrological balance, better for every insect involved, better for every plant we grow, and better for every grass we have and every animal and ruminant that takes that grass. The whole thing from start to finish improves. Carbon gets sequestered. The whole thing gets better. And the food that you put in your body, last but not least, is the very best food you can put in your body. Paleoella beef sticks are incredible. They have a seasonal favorite, which is fucking ridiculous. Sorry for the curse word, but it's that good. It's a pork stick made with pasture-raised pork. Now, if you're into regenerative, you'll know it's, 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 it's becoming more and more available that you can get pasture-raised beef and grass-fed beef. It's, it's pretty damn hard to find really high-end pasture-raised pork that doesn't have a lot of shit in it. Paleo Valley is sourced the very best, and it's maple bacon flavor. Y'all, <laughs> it, is, it is so good. It is insane. It's like, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my all-time favorites. I hope they never stop making this product. Um, just incredible. And there's only two grams of carbohydrates in the whole stick. So look, it's got the sweet maple flavor that you want with, ba- with, with, with bacon or pork or sausage links or any of that stuff that you have in the morning. Oh my God. And it's only two grams of carbohydrates with 10 grams of protein or five grams of protein. Uh, you can get so much from this. And it's one of those things that leaves you more whole than when you started. When I have a snack or if I'm running on the go, like I had to run into Exos to get body work done. Now I'm over here at Onnit doing my intros and ads for the day. I didn't have time to eat breakfast. I didn't have to. I had my coffee. I ran out of the door, but I know I need protein. I know I need fat. I know I need something that's going to help me last throughout the day. And I don't want it to take out more than it puts in. Meaning I don't want to have something sugary that gets me jacked up for an hour. And then two hours later, I'm starving for what? More sugar, more crap, more processed foods. So check it out. Paleovalley.com. They have the best in the business for beef steaks and uh, procured meats. And this stuff lasts a while. It's perfect in your apocalypse pantry. It's absolutely perfect. It's perfect for kids. It's perfect for everybody. It's already ready to go. 
Also, I've been trying their their bone broth collagen chocolate flavor mixed with raw milk, and that is an absolute game changer. My producer, Jose, told me about this. One of my podcast producers who does the posting, he is uh, a legend, and I know you're listening to this right now, Jose. I love you, buddy. That is the shit, dude. It is absolutely incredible. I reached out to Paleo Valley. I was like, hey, I got to try this stuff. My, my, uh, my buddy, Jose, keeps telling me all about it, and it is as advertised. It is next level protein powder and it is 100% bovine collagen, meaning you're going to get regenerative cows used in this process. That's an important thing when you buy collagen. You don't want factory farm nasty ass animals that are contributing to a shittier world. You want regenerative animals that are contributing to the better world, the more beautiful world that we know is possible. Check it all out, paleovalley.com. Use the discount code Kyle for 15% off. Next in line, organify.com slash KKP. If you order between Thursday, November 24th and Monday, November 28th, you'll get free shipping with the minimum spend of $125 plus 25% off your entire order with KKP, code KKP at checkout. Once again, order between November 24th and Monday, November 28th, you're going to get free shipping with a minimum spend of $125 and that's easy to do. You want to get extra plus 25% off your entire order with code KKP. Also, you guys remember, leave us that five-star review with one or two ways the show's helped you out. At the end of each month, Organifi is going to send you my favorite product. And please leave your Instagram or Twitter handle with that so we can get you connected and easily get you your prize. All right, we've got an amazing seasonal guy. Organifi Gold Pumpkin Spice is available until mid-December. It has been absolutely incredible. I've been mixing this with some raw milk or a bit of coconut cream and some butter, whipping that up with one of them little whisker, handheld whisker jobbers, you know, like 20 bucks on Amazon. Zzz, use a couple, two AA batteries. Fucking phenomenal. It's so tasty. It's like Thanksgiving in a drink in your mouth that has lemon balm and a host of other amazing adaptogens that just wind you down and let you go, ah, okay, the stressful day is over. It's gone. The fall is here. The weather's changing, and I feel fucking good about it. I'm ready to go into the long winter, and I will not fear it. I'm ready to go because I had Organifi Gold Pumpkin Spice, and it's only seasonally available till mid-December, so stock up now. Organifi.com slash KKP, and remember, KKP at checkout for 20% off, but if you order between the 24th through the 28th, you're going to get 25% off and free shipping. All you got to spend is $125. Very easy to do. Stock up while supplies last. Organifi.com slash KKP. We are also brought to you today by my homies at Buy Optimizers. Do you know if you're getting enough magnesium? Because four out of five Americans are not. And that's a big problem because magnesium is involved in more than 600 biochemical reactions in your body. Today, I want to talk to you about the most common signs to look for that could indicate you're magnesium deficient. Listen carefully to the end because there's the Black Friday special offer happening. And this could be exactly what you need. Here we go. Are you irritable or anxious? Do you struggle with insomnia? Do you experience muscle cramps or twitches? This is huge in the low-carb community, whether you're carnivore or keto. This is a massive one. Do you have high blood pressure? I know a lot of people. A lot of people I work with as clients first start off, they got high blood pressure. They're on fucking statins. I'm like, slow down. (laughs) Let's get you on some really good magnesium and start to correct this. A little bit of fasting and just watch this shit go in the right direction. Are you sometimes constipated? There are dozens of symptoms of magnesium deficiency. So these are really just a few of the most common ones. Now, here's what most people don't know. Taking just any magnesium supplement won't solve your problem because most supplements use the cheapest kinds that your body can't use or doesn't absorb. That's why I exclusively recommend Magnesium Breakthrough. 
It is the only full-spectrum magnesium supplement with seven unique forms of magnesium that your body can actually use and absorb. Here comes the best part. The makers of Magnesium Breakthrough Bioptimizers are having a Black Friday special. Special offer from November 21st through the 29th. You can get not only Magnesium Breakthrough, but all of Bioptimizers' best-in-class products with 25% off. This is massive. Just go to www.bioptimizers.com slash kingsboo and enter the code KINGSBOO10. That's all caps, K-I-N-G-S-B-U-1-0 to get 25% off any order. This is the best time of year to stock up on the products you love and to try new ones. Every single product I've had from Bioptimizers Arsenal is a must-have. It's in my diet from me, myself, my wife, my kids. When I have friends come and stay with us, I put them on and I'm like, look, <laughs> you got to try this shit. It will change your digestion. It'll change the way you feel and it'll change the way you sleep. It'll change the way you recover. It'll change all sorts of shit because that's how important it is that we extract every nutrient we can from our food that we eat. And if we're not doing that, we're not getting everything we need. If we're not supplementing with magnesium because it's fucking dropped drastically in our soil over the last hundred years, we're not getting enough magnesium. You can't eat enough food to get enough magnesium these days. It is a must-have in your supplement pantry. And if you just arrived, in, but if you've arrived just in time, again, the link to go for the exclusive Black Friday offering is November 21st. Starting November 21st is www.bioptimizers.com slash kingsboo with code kingsboo10. Do it while supplies last and don't miss the November 29th deadline. Last but not least, thank you to Aura for sponsoring this podcast. Do you know what the fastest growing crime in America is? For years, this crime rate has been surging and affecting millions of Americans. I'm talking about identity theft, and it happens to one in 20 Americans. Yet despite this, those who have had their identity stolen are often shocked when it happens. Imagine trying to log into your email account one day only to see that the password had changed hours ago. Then you start getting notifications of activity from your bank, credit cards, crypto accounts. That's when the feelings of panic, fear, anxiety, paranoia, disbelief, shock, anger, and frustration and guilt all set in. That's why I'm excited to partner with Aura, who is sponsoring this podcast. Aura is identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all combined into one easy-to-use app. Aura monitors the dark web for your emails, passwords, and social security numbers and sends alerts fast right to your phone and email. When it comes to fraud, every second matters. Connect your credit and bank accounts and get notified of any changes up to four times faster than Aura's competitors. Their VPN allows you to stay anonymous online by keeping your browsing history and personal information safe and encrypted. And their antivirus software will block malware and viruses before they infect your devices. Protect you and your family from America's fastest growing crime. Try Aura free for two weeks and see if any of you or your family's personal information has been compromised. Start your free trial today at https colon forward slash forward slash A-U-R-A dot com slash K-Y-L-E. Protect yourself from America's fastest growing crime. 14 days for free. Aura.com slash Kyle. And thank you to Aura for sponsoring this podcast. Without further ado, my brother, Clay Martin. Tolo Cat brings us in. Clay Martin, <laughs> I've been waiting for you, brother. This is a fantastic. I'm excited. I'm very excited today because uh, I've been a fan of you for a while and in an impromptu way. You know, I got invited into a um, a signal group of ours with a couple of friends and mutual friends that I had met. Had some really cool meetings, um, Texas for the Nexus, things like that. And I was like, all right, this is a good group of guys. And uh, just from the comments 
from what you were saying over the past few months, I was just like, man, this guy knows his shit, you know? And then <laughs> I started looking into you, and uh, I think you wrote me at one point, like, because I put a picture of a, of a book list out, and you're like, I've got, I've got a few you might like. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, because I had those, I had just before you sent that, I had purchased them on, on Amazon. I was waiting for him to come in, and I was like, what fucking timing is this? <laughs> That's fucking it was great. Chewed through them both, Concrete Jungle and Prairie Fire, they were incredible. And, um, you know, with that topic, I just want to say, of, of, if I'm talking like James Wesley Rawls and, and uh, you know, the author of One Second After, like any of these potential bad scenarios that are totally possible in the existential game, um, the story is good, the fiction is good, but the fact that you cut straight to the fucking chase, like here's your meat and potatoes, and you were hilarious with it, you know, which is a necessary component, it is, right? We're going to talk about some gnarly shit, like... Thank you for the for the comedic it's, relief. It's, it's much needed. It's it's some dark black pills, but it's actually very much like also in the way that like uh, you know operator dudes work. Uh, you see on TV there's always like stone face killers and all this bullshit. That's not real life, man. Most, most of the dudes that are actually like have done this work and stuff. They're hilarious unless one of our guys is dying. But you'll hear a crazy you'll get like RPG shot at you and somebody be on the line like get to the chopper. You're like, you know, ridiculous <laughs> shit. So I, I felt like that was a necessary tone for the books. You know, it is some some subject matter that's, man, it's horrifying. I, I don't want it to go down. I want to be wrong, all this other shit. But you got to inject the humor, man. I mean, because we're going to face it regardless. Right? Yeah. You, you, you yeah. want to be sad about it or do you want to be happy? Well, and do you want to prepare or do you just want to be caught fucking just like, oh, shit. You <laughs> right. know, and it's like, as it, as it turns out, there are... um some really simple steps you can do that if you're like me, help you go to sleep at night. There's some simple steps, you know, some, just right. simple ways to, yeah. to, to prepare for a potential outcome that, that, we, that nobody wants. Um, but with that, you can go to bed at night. You can be like, cool, yeah. man, I did my part. Right. You know, and, and it may be something where I noticed this, you know, as far as like, we're going to get into a preparedness on this podcast, but we'd also want to get into your background. So we will retrace those steps before we move forward. But one example of this was I, I had uh, Rob Wolf on the podcast, and he was talking about how, you know, every major culture throughout history is big in the ancestral movement. They all prepared for a long winter. Mm-hmm. And then somehow we just fucking, with, with Amazon deliveries, forgot that, <laughs> right. that it was a necessity, right? <laughs> right, right, right? And there's still major religious groups. You know, Mormons have a lot of oh, prepper yeah. sites, stuff yeah. like that, that, that still prepare for that. But um, I started, you know, stocking away water and food a couple of years ago in what I call the Apocalypse Pantry. And, uh, which is funny, you know, like people come over and they're like, what's that closet from? I'm like, it's an apocalypse pantry, you yeah. know, and they'll just fucking laugh, you know, right, right, like, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. and it'll never happen, but, but I have it here. Right. And then we had the snow apocalypse and because of our proximity to the airport, we lived down the street from here, from on it. Um, our grid didn't just shut down, which was huge because yeah. people's pipes were bursting. Oh, dude, yeah. Fucking, they got mold issues now in their house. Right. Uh, people went out with, went without food and water for an extended period of time. And we were able to house eight front. We had a whole family with us, a five and three other homies. Cause I just came back from a hunt, um, West of here, about two hours West in hunt, Texas. So we came back, I'm driving on the, on the freeway. It's covered in snow. I'm watching Honda Civic slide off at a 90 degree fucking angle. I'm like, Holy shit, dude, no one knows how to drive in the snow. Like it hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah. In a long time. Um, but just for that reason alone, like we ate like Kings and Queens the entire time. We feasted, we had fun, 
Uh, we went outside. The kids played in the snow. I made sure my neighbors had food and water. Like there was, a, yeah. it was a time of bonding, and it was also like, this is the why. All of a sudden, you're not fucking crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Funny. And it didn't have yeah. to be World War Three or, or the Civil right. War Two. No. It just like this came in handy just to due to natural disaster, right? You know, yeah, it could have been a hurricane. It could have been any number of things. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, like this makes a lot of sense. It most certainly does. But let's we're going to dive deep into that. But I do want to get. I, I love starting with people's background. Um, talk about life growing up and what made you want to join the military and, and then your military career because this okay. is a fucking badass. <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. Well, dude, it's funny. There's actually there's pieces of the story that I've never told. Uh, just because you know most places have a, a short format podcast, we don't, don't really get into it. Like, what did you do? And you know, that's it. Uh, so something I've never really like talked about with anybody else. But there were a lot of things kind of influenced me to uh, to walk the path that I walked. Uh, First of all, I grew up in a pretty rough place. You know, not like Southside Chicago or anything, but the oil patch up in the Panhandle of Texas, which is is a country place, but it's, it's rough in its own way. You know, it was a, a violent place. We lived like forty five. We lived at the edge of a county. You know how big counties are in Texas. Lived like forty five minutes away from a police response on the best of days. Uh, if a deputy happened to be in that corner, uh, so a lot of like kind of weird, almost unbelievable, like like vigilante justice kind of shit growing up. Like it, it was almost like being from a different time. Like uh, we were right at a corner of the Four Sixes Ranch too, and uh, I can remember at least two or three times as a as a small kid, the uh, sheriff would actually make posses to go hunt down and kill all these fucking like wild dogs. People would go out and dump their dogs, and one of them would bite a kid, come into the you know the area that we lived in, bite a kid or something. They didn't know if it was fucking rabid, so they would actually get a posse, go kill all these fucking wild dogs, send their heads off to be tested. But, uh, I mean, this is like the 80s. <laughs> you know, it's, not like the, it's not like the 20s or the 1800s. But we still grew up in kind of a, a for America, what is probably a very weird cultural place that almost doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so that was kind of a, a part of the influence of it there. The other thing is uh, people don't believe this because I'm, I'm big now. I'm like 240. I was a very small dude growing up. Like I was like uh, four foot 11 and a half, and I weighed 95 pounds when I started high school. At the beginning of high school. Yeah, yeah it was Damn. a freshman. I was a tiny little fucker. And I had a big mouth, too. So, <laughs> <You know? laughs> so these, these, these things didn't really work themselves out very well. But uh, you know, so I was constantly fighting and shit and, you know, took some ass whippings and shit. But uh, all that kind of, like, culturally influenced me. Like, you know, I want to be this other thing. Uh, you know, I want to I want to do some some badass shit. And uh, basically, I want to elevate myself to the, uh, to the top of this fucking warrior game. So it's just kind of always a... Like a, a thing inside of me, so you know I did, and that's that's where I that's where I started. Yeah, that's that's fantastic because I, I was a bean pole too. I wasn't <laughs> that light, but I mean I, I was really tall and just stretched the fuck out. I right. couldn't keep weight on. Uh, I think when I started high school, it was like six one one forty five, oh, which shit. like if you've seen like a fighter that's over six feet tall fighting in one forty five, oh, you're like, man. good god, right. eat a meal, you know? Right. Like right. I, I would probably eat in ten thousand calories a day and just couldn't keep any of it because I was right. growing too fast. I remember growing. Multiple summers, I'd put on two inches over a summer. Wow. And my dad would be up late at night, like 3 a.m., massaging my, oh, my calves so and fast. fucking yeah. all the pain. You know, just it would keep me up at night. And I'd be sobbing with how much pain my legs were in. Wow. Um, but yeah, I was just so skinny. And then finally, sophomore year, I was able to start putting on weight. I'd lifted weight since I was 13. And just yeah. it didn't fucking matter. I'd get stronger, but there was nothing to show for right, it. You know, right, I was right. like Bruce Lee type build. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and two, had a giant fucking mouth, you know. so I, was a, I find a, that shocking. It makes a target out of you, right? Like, I don't know why it did, but it certainly made a target to put a bullseye on my back. So most of the, I mean, from since I was seven years old, I have memories of 
trying to run first away from multiple right, people right, yeah. and then finally running out of gas and turning and swinging, you know, like, <laughs> right, which right. voted well most of the time, but, but definitely didn't sometimes. And um, that, that in and of itself, it's funny, you talk about like a different time. None of that exists. I remember when I was in high school and they put in a zero tolerance policy. Yeah. You know, and this is Silicon Valley too. Right. So all this new fucking right, real cool yeah, way to think, you know, that was, that was definitely on the precipice. Um, I can't imagine the shit they're teaching in those schools right oh, now in public dude, school in the Silicon Valley. Oh man. But uh, when zero tolerance went in, I was like, this is, this is interesting. Like if you get in a fight and you're expelled, you're going to like one of the bad schools. Juvie. Like, yeah, you're, you're, going, yeah, not, yeah. you're going to juvie, but you're also yeah. going to, if you go back to school, yeah. It's a shit school with real fuck ups. Right. Like, it's not like you're going to mm-hmm. go back to Monta Vista High School or something like that. Right. Like, you're done, done. Um, you're doing junior college like I had to anyway. <laughs> but, like, there's no real route to fucking get into a UC right. if you fucking fight one time. I was it's, like, that's fucking bananas. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely crazy. And of course, all that stuff still exists. It's not, right. like, it's not like human culture changed right. at that point where we said, all right, enough's enough. Oh, we're done. No more fighting. You know? right. just like, <laughs> Violence is a thing of the past. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, I think it's actually worse for the kids today, like with the cyberbullying and that kind of shit, because it's not the same thing either. Uh, you know, it's not like you can really face those things and, and deal with them with your fists either. But that shit's constant. It's at home. It follows them home. My kids will never have social media. It's a different game now, but it's 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 terrible in its own right. It's, it's arguably probably worse. Like, I would probably rather you know get hit in the nose than uh, than fucking get bullied on fucking you know Facebook for fucking thirty hours. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's brutal. It doesn't yeah. feel like there's a quality escape there, especially if you don't have the gift of gab, right? Or like a general way to like, I'm gonna fucking pick this guy apart, you know? Right. Like which which most of us likely grew right. up having to have, you know, from locker rooms and things like that. Like, right. You had to condition yourself to A, take it, but then B, dish it back out in a right. way where other, you'd get a little, ooh, you know, on your side, every comment you made, right? If you didn't, that's, that's a bad thing, right. you know? So we had like a learning curve for that. Um, did you have family or, or other people that were in the military? Like that you just knew like, all right, this is the warrior path that I want to take because I had, I had a lot of uncles and cousins um, that went to the military. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it was both of my parents hadn't been in, but it was just like, I fought a lot. Football was my thing. Wrestling supported football. Yep. And wrestling certainly supported me in my street fights. Like any wrestler will attest to that. <laughs> oh, like he yeah. fucking changes everything. But um, but yeah, when when football ended, then fight fighting became the thing because I wasn't done yet. You right. know, and so that that made sense for me. And I've always had this attraction to the military. I've been able yep. to do like twelve goodwill tours with my wife. Oh, so actually, awesome. I met her in Kuwait and Iraq. No shit. Yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome wild, stuff, dude. right? And I've always appreciated that because it's like game recognized game. You yeah. know, like oh, I can yeah. see, like you guys all have it too. Yeah. And I think that's why fighters are so well received when we go on tours. Right. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I, dude, I remember when they came to uh, Fort Bragg did the like fight for the troops and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. We actually got to hang out. Uh, some of us like soft guys with the. Uh, we knew what bar they were going to afterwards because they were basically hanging out with us. And, uh, yeah, I ended up having some, like great conversations with some dudes that were like up and comers in the UFC at the time. And uh, yeah, but no, I mean that's that's a hundred percent true. I did have some some military guys in my family. It seems like we can make like one Spartan at a time. It's kind of how it works. Mm. Uh, I had an uncle that was like an Air Force Special Ops guy back in the seventies. Uh, my grandfather like left the farm early to go to World War Two. You know, so we've always kind of like had one. Uh, and then you know, growing up, there was always like a couple dudes that like you know their dad was a not. In fact, one guy I grew up with, his dad did like three tours in Nam, two in the Damn. army, one in the navy. Yeah. So wow. yeah, he was a, he was a weird cat. He never really talked to us about that shit, but you know. Even, like, the other dudes had, like, a different, like, respect for him. So you do have these kind of, like, models growing up that makes you kind of want to, you know, walk that road. Yeah, that's interesting, too, though, especially with Nam, because it's, like, 
I mean, the amount of damage that war did, you know, to right. our guys, right? Right. You're right? Like, well, in, in so many places, too, that they were not well-received. Yeah. Uh, you know, up to the 90s, they were still, you know, but out in the country places, that was that was kind of the opposite. You know, people yeah. really had a mad respect for Yeah, them, I, can, right? I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, I remember, I remember reading about that and then just thinking, like, trying to, I've always done a decent job of trying to emulate, like, what would that feel like if I put myself in their shoes? Yeah. And getting spit on after you go oh, and bro. fucking lose all of your friends. Oh, dude. And you make your way back and you get fucking spit on. Like, I can, I, there's, it's making me emotional right now just me thinking too. of the visceral response of yeah. how demoralizing that would be. Oh, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm 100% with you on that. That's, and that's hard to even contemplate. Yeah. Uh, but we, but that's what happened. And it was for a long time too. Uh, you know, they, a lot of guys that went to Nam wouldn't even admit it later just because they were initially so, so poorly received by their nation. So, yeah, wild stuff though. Yeah. Talk about you, you entered as a Marine. Yeah. Okay. And talk a bit about that. And then uh, I love, <laughs> I love that you write about this too, because it's great. You know, like it really does, it's inspiring. For somebody like me, because you you had to earn it in many ways with right. what you became, you know, yeah. and a lot of people think like you got it or you don't, you know, right. and it's like, eh, to how, maybe, but right. what, to what degree can we actually work towards that? And I think you illustrate that perfectly. Well, man, dude, I think it's actually a lot the same with like, uh, like martial arts and stuff, especially like jujitsu and stuff. Like you go to jujitsu, nobody gives a shit if you rolled up and like... A, a benzo and you have a thousand dollar gi on like they don't give a fuck like it's what you can do i and you can go in there and get your ass kicked by like you know the the, the guy that got his blue belt last week all right you have to earn your position no matter where you came from military is probably one of the last bastions that's still kind of that way because we we did we had some weird dudes in there you know you have some guys that are like from old east coast like blue blood like rich i mean like fuck off like dynasty rich families and you have dudes that are you know from absolutely dirt poor alabama and uh, nobody gives a shit where you came from with with some very weird exceptions of like if your dad happens to be a general or some bullshit but for the most part you have to absolutely earn it so uh so yeah so i i was still actually a pretty small dude i was i, I started getting some mass around the time i, I actually graduated high school at 16 and left mm. um went to college for a year uh Still like five six, like one sixty or something. I was still a little guy, but uh, I started off. I went to the uh, Marine Corps. Uh, I was in the infantry there, uh, and I had come into this wanting something more. So you know, I'd always back then there was no such thing as a. Let me make sure I don't go too far down a weird path of vocabulary here. Uh, people today may know of a thing called MARSOC, which is the Marine Special Operations Command. Well, that didn't exist back in my day. Uh, we still had recon and force recon. That was like our special operations component. So that was always where I wanted to go. Uh, so that was like my goal when I when I came in. But you know, that's one of the things you had to earn. Uh, and back then, they didn't. You didn't get contracts for that stuff either. You had to go go try out. And it was actually it was probably one of the defining moments of like my military career because we got our first shot to try out uh, right after boot camp. So we went to you know boot camp, did all the shave your head and march around bullshit. And then before we started infantry school, if you were an infantry guy, uh, they had a chance. You had a chance to go to the other recon in doc. So these dudes came out, and they were all fucking, you know, monsters and shit. And uh, we did our little test, and God, what was that test? It was a pretty decent test. Looking back on it now, it's fucking laughable. But at the time, it was like, okay, this is different. You had to, like, do a swim and some other bullshit, like a run five miles with 40 pounds on your back. And uh, I failed badly. Uh, and I was like oh, shit. Like, that was the first kind of, like, check on, uh, are you going to be able to do this? So, I mean, I got demolished on the uh, the last bit of it. Like, I remember doing the uh, the last pieces of the uh, the five-mile ruck run, 
and the uh, the medic and uh, somebody else were like jogging beside me having a conversation. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, this is encouraging. Yeah, I was like, and I was like, in by far last place, I was like, oh shit, man, these guys are made out of like something different. Uh, well, yeah. forty pounds for a guy that your size yeah. at that time oh, is dude, a fucking lot. It'd be like me carrying eighty, especially you know? to, to run. To yeah, to, to run it, yeah. do times running with it is pretty pretty intense. But recon always had it. They had a very high physical standard anyway. This was after we'd done a bunch of shit, like swim fifty meters underwater, prove you can do it, and swim with a brick holding down the water, and all this other shit. Uh, but it was a, it was a good check. It was like uh, I didn't. Maybe honestly, in retrospect, actually expect to pass that one anyway. Most guys, if you're strong, you get weaker in basic training. Because it's not that tough. It's it's designed for whoever the fuck they enlisted that week. You know, a kid that may have been playing Xbox for, you know, t- the last 15 years. Uh, so there's a like a minimum physical standard. But most guys that are like wrestlers or high school athletes, you end up actually, you get weaker. So anyway, I came out of that one like, oh shit, man. Like that was not, that was not good. And I'm like in no way prepared for this. So... You know, got assigned, got through infantry school, whatever bullshit, got to our first unit, and, you know, like, immediately started, like, hard training to get ready to go again. So, seven, eight months later, I went and took a recon in dog, fucking smoked it, uh, got my orders over to uh, to recon, and that was, that's when things started getting different, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, like, a, this is kind of across the truth for anything that's, that's, like, special operations. Like, there's a normal military standard, which is not really that high. Like we could look it up. You'd, you'd, you'd like an athlete like yourself. You'd find it laughable. Uh, but it's it really is for like we could go get fucking Bob the insurance salesman over here and, and train him for like six months in the gym, and he would be able to hold that standard. He'd be okay. So it's made for mortals. When you start playing the special operations game, like it's not. It's 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 like incredibly brutal and uh, probably like Olympic grade fucking physical fitness, and uh, that combined with like they don't really give a fuck if they hurt you. Is they'll get a new one. They'll go get 10 more. <laughs> like, that's fine. Uh, a fair amount of guys actually end up washing out of those programs with, like, life-altering injuries uh, that they'll never fucking walk right and shit. And they didn't even make it. Damn. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a brutal fucking game. So, anyway, got over there. Uh, started playing by those rules. And uh, different. Very, very fucking different. Uh, when you check into a place like that, like a... Before we even went to school, we had to check into the unit at, at Camp Lejeune. Well, the first thing that happens is they issue you this rope, and uh, it's knotted in a certain way, and you wear it on top of your uniform, so uh, everybody knows you're the fucking new guy, and they can fuck with you at will. And it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're a fucking captain and they're a fucking, you know, an E3, like, they can fuck with you, like, all day long. Uh, so did all this shit, uh, went to the reconnaissance school, uh, passed it, uh, super high attrition rate, man. I don't remember what the hell our, our passing rate was, but it was something just insane for having to start it. Like 30 of us started and like six of us walked out or something. But uh, but that was it. And, uh, you know, you do that shit and then like, okay, all of a sudden you can take the rope off, but you're still the fucking new guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now you're expected to live that standard. So. Talk about shooting. You know, the, you, you, uh, you excelled there, but talk about how you started in that. When did that... Oh, yeah. When was that such a big piece of it? When did you decide, like, this is what I want to do? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So so starting with the soft game, this is this is actually true. Most people don't know this either. Almost, actually, no. There are zero special operations selections that test your ability to shoot. Because they don't give a shit. Like, they can make a monkey know how to shoot. They need to know if you're tough. So, hell, a lot of selections, like higher special operations selections, you don't even have a real gun. They give you, like, a... We call it rubber duck. It's a it's a fucking <laughs> gun made out of lead weights With and the, rubber. Uh, fucking yeah. one in uh uh what is that movie? 
office guys or whatever. The, yeah, the, the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a big, like, 10-pound pile of shit that has, you know, it's not even a real gun. Because they just don't care. Like, again, that's a skill like they can teach anybody. They just need to know if you're hard. So that's basically what reconnaissance to school was, like, see how tough you are. So I passed that, and now, you know, I'm in the unit. And the other thing that I always wanted to do, probably the other thing that Marines are known for, was I wanted to go to sniper school. Uh, and this was actually one of the only, there's two ways to get there. You can either go to a sniper platoon, which is a part of an entry regiment, or you can get to recon and then fight for a slot for the uh, the rare times that we get to go. Uh, so I did. And uh, so I got my, my got to go to scout sniper school. And at this point, I'm like fucking 20 years old. So still pretty wet behind the ears, fucking new guy. And uh, I actually had trouble with shooting when I started. Uh, I was not good at it, which is counterintuitive also for, you know, fucking country boy. Like, I got a, I got a fucking 22, I was 11. Like, you know, lived <laughs> under my bed. When I was 16, I had a membership to a place we could go shoot, like a real little range and shit. And uh, you know, I'd be out there fucking, you know, shooting my allowance in 22. So I thought I was good with a rifle. It turns out I sucked with a rifle. <laughs> I was fucking awful with a rifle. Uh, even like at our, our first uh, qualification in, in basic training, I got the, uh, the, what we call the pizza box of shame. It's like the lowest qualification. <laughs> it's a it's a square. Like the expert one has like all these you know wreaths and shit, and the sharpshooter's like an iron cross, and then the the fucking marksmanship badge of shame is the fucking pizza box, dude. Like everybody could look at you and know like fuck, bro. I guess we we'll get you a shotgun. Like you, you suck. <laughs> uh, actually, one of the first obstacles I had to overcome to even get to go to scout sniper school was you had to qualify twice expert. So uh, I did whatever you needed to do to fucking make that happen. Maybe had some assistance. Uh, we got my entrance, and I'm going to scout sniper school. And at this point, also, I've shot a scoped rifle one time in my life at my uncle's house, like, you know, fucking prior to this. And uh, one of the other things that that the recon community was was bad at at the time was was prepping guys for this shit. It's like, they, I don't know, they just didn't respect their, their sniper game enough, or they just assumed that you're talented enough, like, you can go fucking pass, no train up, or whatever. Uh, so we're out there, and I'm having a lot of fucking trouble with the shooting part. Uh, the field skills, there's a, there's a lot of things that make a sniper. The, you know, some of it's your ability to, to see things. Some of it's your ability to what we call stalk, which is crawl through the woods and fucking sneak up on people and shit. All these other skills. Shooting's actually probably only about 25, 20, 25% of it. But uh, I am getting my ass kicked at the shooting part. I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, in fact, I, I may actually, at that time, you know, circa year 2000, have been the worst shooting guy to ever graduate from Marine Scout Sniper School because I passed by one bullet. So Damn. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. And uh, struggled with that even like as we, after we got past the marksmanship phase and we were doing all this other shit, there's still some shooting involved with it. Hurting, hurting bad on it. Um, so that was kind of where I, I, I was. Um, and that was actually where we, we went to the war for the first time. That was where we went to Iraq in 2003. Now, to correct the shooting game, how that, how that ended up was... You know, so after after OIF one, uh, I cross decked. A lot of us did. We we left the Marine Corps. We went over to our, the Army to be in a Special Forces, specifically uh, Green Berets. There were like ten other recon Marines in my in my, in my selection class. Like dudes I hadn't seen in years. Like what the fuck are you doing here? Fucking, Everyone had the same idea. Yeah, yeah, everybody had the same idea. Like hey, what's up, buddy? <laughs> and there was a lot of reasons that we can get into on another another time. But uh, anyway. So I knew these years going along, the shooting was like my weakness, which is a stupid weakness for a sniper to have, but it's true. Uh, so sure shit, I, I go through the Q course and I get selected to, uh, and I get my hat and all this other bullshit. And I get assigned 
to first right out of the box, like a dedicated, one of the, the very few dedicated full-time sniper teams in special forces, like a whole detachment of, of nothing but snipers. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know? like, like I like doing this, but I'm not that strong at it. I'm like, fuck, I'm going like a fucking asshole. This is going to suck so bad. But uh, because of that, I, I really, prior to even checking it, I went and I made shooting a strength. Like I applied a shitload of time to it. And then I also got very fortunate. Because one of the first things we did after I checked in on that team was we went to, uh, who was then a, a new guy named uh, Todd Hodnett. And it's funny, he's actually based out of Austin too. Oh, cool. Yeah, he runs a, a place called uh, Accuracy First. Uh, so Hodnett was like this dude that like basically changed long gunning. Uh, in a way that only happens like once in a generation. Uh, so Todd's an interesting character. Uh, he'd been a uh, cowboy action world champion twice at this point. Cowboy action is the game where they, you know, quick draw guns and shoot and shit. And uh, he'd basically gotten good at that, driving a UPS truck around, you know, the, the Paris, Texas area, dry firing this fucking single action Colt, like a, you know, like a, like a no shit, like John Wayne gun. Uh, so after that, he switched over and he decided he was going to be a long range shooter. Well, he came into it with no preconceived notions. So he's also like a, he talks like a, just a fucking cowboy. But he's also like a genius, like a, like a beautiful mind kind of guy. So uh, he goes into this long range shit and he's like, oh, this all looks stupid. What if we just did this? And, you know, 31.21 gigawatts or whatever bullshit. And he just starts kicking everybody's ass, like, like fucking crushing them in the, uh, the early 2000s. Uh, so one of the things that special operations does is they keep an eye on like competitive shooting. Because you can learn a lot from that. It's like uh, it's like applying like you know uh, competitive fighting to street. You know, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, right? right. Plenty of people in MMA watch the high level boxing to see like oh, yeah. where does the fucking latest and greatest and footwork, well, head movement, that well, kind of stuff. Yeah. Where else are you going to look for a competitive yeah. edge that nobody else has? So we do that shit all the time too. In fact, that uh, we bring in competitive shooters all the time, and even if like. 90% of what applies to it doesn't apply to us. It's still worth the money that we paid them for that 10%. So anyway, they see Hot Net start just like crushing everyone, just like whipping their ass. And they're like, oh, fuck. So some dudes go and like hire him. And uh, he comes in and they're like, everybody starts doing his stuff. Well, anyway, the place that I got assigned, we had him coming up. We were one of the first uh, teams to actually have Hot Net. So we went to Hot Net and uh, he basically was like, okay, well, let's just imagine that the way that you've been shooting for all your entire lives is total horse shit and let's do it this other way and uh, let's see if that works for you. And dude, within an hour of, of shooting his way as opposed to the way I'd been taught, I was kicking the shit out of two full ODAs of like 15, 17-year dedicated snipers. Damn. <laughs> in an hour. <laughs> in an hour. Wow. Mostly because I already had all this other shit. I could already call wins. I could already do this other shit. What was missing was just like the way I held the fucking gun and pulled the trigger, which is a big piece of it. But the way I was doing it was not was not correct for me. And be, I think because I sucked at it so bad, I was willing to jump on his. Well, let's, let's try some other shit. <laughs> See if that works. But it did work. And uh, it's funny. Those guys... Most of them, I probably never even told them this, probably never even knew that I struggled for my entire life as a sniper up to that. I was just crushing them, just, just fucking slaying them. And because of that, like right then, and I, I stayed with it as far as training goes, over the next, you know, years, like shooting became like a big time strength. That's probably what I'm best known for now. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And that's something that you, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize that I was going to ask you, like you read my mind, but I was going to ask you if you had a mentor or something that came along right. at that point, because it seemed like the jump was 
fucking overnight. It was. It, you it know? literally was. It was overnight. Yeah. yeah we did a, I did a, not to go off top, well, still on topic, but not to go, not to, to chime in too much, but I did a, the Sheepdog Level 2, and Chantry is an awesome guy. He's, um, uh, I, I won't say about his background. He used to be a, a SF guy, and now he works in law enforcement. There okay, go. gotcha. Keep, yeah, it, keep yeah. it bland. Yeah. Um, good buddy of mine. He's about an inch shorter, 10 pounds heavier, just got his brown belt in jiu-jitsu. Nice. Fucking badass. He, you know, this is my, I haven't done a ton of these, but- like my third or fourth time coming through one of these. And he pulled me aside on this last one. And he was like, hey, stick your finger all the way in there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I thought, you know, it's like middle of the pad. And he's like, yeah, that, that's true. But except you've got big hands and you're going to wrap all the way around that thing. He goes, see, if you put your finger all the way into that last, that first digit and now pull straight. And fucking we did that. And I went from, you know, two hands mm-hmm. to fucking one right. little okay sign. And no, right. that's not gang signs for anybody <laughs> fucking from the left that's looking at this shit. This doesn't stand for white power. Fucking, I'm using it as a reference point. Oh, God, I got to go. I'll put, my, I'll put my fucking other fingers down. How's right. that? Yeah, and it went, it went, it was that quick. And it yeah. stayed that way. And I was like, holy shit. You know, yeah. and like I knew, you know, small adjustments can make a big difference because right. of fighting. Right. You know, but I had right. never seen that in, in shooting. And it was just, when it happened, I was like, dude. Every training that I've done with you mm-hmm. guys to bring me to this moment, that made all of that worth, worth it. it. And, I was, and I've learned so, much, so many other things that were super important. Yeah. So I'm not going to discount that. But just for that one fucking thing, right. just for that one little adjustment, right. you know, and like how I hold, how I press in yeah. with the left hand to keep the recoil down so I can yeah. go bang, bang. You know, I can shoot doubles real quick and right. stay on target. It was like, Jesus, dude. <laughs> like, it's, what? It's huge. It's what? Huge. It was massive. Yeah. It was massive. Dude, it is. It, it's the difference also between learning from like a true master of the craft. And somebody that's not there yet. We see the same thing in fighting. We see it in all this other stuff. But especially amongst the gun stuff, yeah, you see it. Uh, is there can be that minor difference. And maybe a difference that only applies also to you. Correct, like, correct. Yeah, if you've got smaller else, hands, like, right. no, no, don't do that. Yeah, right? It's not one size theology, change that shit, and all of a sudden, yeah, you've, you've shrank your, yeah, it's game-changing. Yeah, but yeah. that is the difference between like a, yeah. So talk about talk about your time in the Green Berets. You know, I'm, sure. I'm good buddies with Tim Kennedy. Um, a lot of the training that I got to do uh, overseas was with Green Beret guys because the Green Berets, as far as I know, yeah. are used to being the teachers, right? Yeah. You guys go right. to other places. You got to get local people geared right. up to be able to defend themselves. So that's you know, with the right people uh, helping with the communication gaps, right. you guys are able to teach people who, who come with you know very little background. Oftentimes right. it's farmers and people that are just fucking hanging out doing their daily. As we like, call it, illiterate peasants. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's true. It's, for most yeah. of the time, it's true. Yeah, that is our strength. So, yeah, I mean, that's our deal. Like, we can go in, we can make an army out of anything. Uh, I think that also helps us a lot. The guy, Those of us that were Green Berets specifically that decided to teach on the outside now, well, if I can teach this to a dude with, like, a third-grade education, a language that I barely speak, and I have to have a terp doing this shit, well, you can be somebody that's like, you know, I speak his language, and he wants to be here. Like, that's going to be easy. That's going to be child's play. But it, it teaches us a lot about teaching. Uh, but, yeah, it's funny. Actually, I went to Parks the Q course with Tim. Cool. Yeah, we're, we're roughly the same age as far as that stuff goes. Uh, but yeah, so that was my deal. I switched over. A lot, a lot of us did. Uh, went to the Special Forces course. Uh, and that's actually a weird cultural change, too. You don't see a lot of guys that were in two services because it is. It's uh, it's odd. It's very odd. It's like changing teams, right? Because, I mean, the the the, yeah. the general feel is everyone gets along, but, you know, my piss on your team, my right. team's the best. Right, right, You know? Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's also these huge, like, cultural differences because there are differences between the services and stuff, too. So, like, when I switched over, uh, I was a sergeant in the Marines, which is, uh, I only actually got to that rank in that short of a time. 
because of uh, some special circumstances, because we actually expanded our, our special operations, so that made the rank structures all go up. So I came to the Army as a sergeant. I didn't even know how to put their fucking uniforms together. Because <laughs> when you go from the Marine Corps to anybody else, they let you keep your rank, you just transfer over. So, uh, yeah, I'm like a non-commissioned officer walking around like, I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing here. I actually went to my first promotion board, which is the first time I had to put uh, a dress uniform on and I'd like the night before I'm like reading the book and figuring all this bullshit out. And uh, their uniforms are way more complex than ours too. And I get to my uh, my board to be promoted to staff sergeant. And this uh, sergeant major comes by and he, he turns my jump wings upside down for me because <laughs> that shit like completely fucked up. But uh, it is, it's a, it's a difficult cultural change. It's completely in some ways different. Now, there's a lot of things that are similarities, but uh, just customs and courtesies and that kind of shit. Things like you're expected to know as like a five, six-year dude. Like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Uh, so it was, but a lot of us made that change and we, we figured it out and, and, and along we went. It's, uh, it's funny, actually, I was on an, uh, a special forces team, which we call an operational detachment alpha with four other Marines one time. Whoa. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, it's just this huge. That's cool. What are yeah. the odds of that? Yeah, right. It's yeah. extremely slim. Extremely slim. Uh, yeah, one of the guys that ended up being my teammate on my last ODA, we were actually in recon battalion together as well. We were in sister platoons. And, uh, anyway, so I made that switch over. Uh, it was a good move. Mostly that was done because the, all the services are like good at something. Uh, you can find like Navy EOD, for instance, is the best. Their explosive ordnance disposal guys are by far the better, top notch. There's like one tiny slice of army OD that can match them. That's why you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you know, clapping your hands that my homie Eric is oh, yeah, dude, Navy OD. Dude, you yeah. scored. <laughs> you, you, got, you got the best one you could possibly have. And those guys are incredibly talented. <laughs> they know how to do some shit too. And uh, it turns out that the army is mostly the best at like special operations stuff. Like they're extremely good at it. Uh, they just, their structures are built for it. They have all the, the shit in place for it. Uh, the only one that's arguably better pound for pound actually is the Air Force. And they get away with it because their, their slice is tiny. Uh, they don't have that many dudes, but they're extremely good too. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's why a lot of us ended up leaving. The, the Marine Corps always had a kind of a shitty attitude towards a special operation. It didn't really like them. It didn't really want them. Uh, and that reflected even over the years they were building uh, MARSOC and all that other shit that's under SOCOM. Hmm. Well, you, when did you transition? You, you had an injury, right? You had a pretty fucking... Uh, decent injury but was that the end of your career I've had a couple actually <laughs> <laughs> which one <laughs> so the first one I took that was really bad uh, I was actually I wasn't even 21 yet or was I close no I wasn't even 21 yet I mean I was barely 21 uh, I was still in the Marines uh, so winds off the ocean can be very uh, unpredictable right but we're Marines so our bases are always next to the fucking ocean we were doing uh, a parachute jump, and it was like my first or second one out of school. Uh, so we're flying around this fucking helicopter, and I go, and as soon as we jumped out of the uh, out of the helicopter, winds jumped up. You can't, you're not supposed to jump uh, a regular parachute in winds above like ten miles an hour. Well, this like you know divine wind blew in from the ocean. It spiked to like thirty while we were in the air. So. Man, dudes are getting pushed into the trees. Uh, at that point, with a, a round shoot, an older shoot, it just grabs you like you're going for a fucking ride. And I slammed into the ground so hard, I actually broke two vertebrae. Oh, shit. Yeah, I broke my L4 and L5, like a, uh, a shear fracture. So we're like, oh, fuck. Uh, and for some reason, we weren't even really supposed to be jumping because of who we were attached to. So Captain's like, oh, fuck, now we got to hide this shit. So basically, I, I laid in my room for like fucking... A week and then I laid in the van so we could go to this training thing and then I basically laid on a cot and kept hurting and kept hurting and kept hurting and like something's fucking wrong 
Well, finally, like six weeks later, six or eight weeks later, they took me to the hospital and they're like, we got to do a fucking bone scan. And uh, they did. And that's when they found the, uh, the shears. Uh, and they're like, this is healed, but it's happened. Because uh, that's how long bone takes to mend. And I'm like, fuck. And uh, so, you know, my gunny comes down. And he's like, hey, look, man, that's a fucking, that's a career-ending injury. It can be. He's like, you got two choices. Like, you can either, you know, basically off books physical therapy, this motherfucker, and, uh, and get on that fucking boat because we're going to Kosovo. Uh, or you can go to med board, and that's it. And uh, you know, I'm like 21. But I'm like, okay, fuck that. Like, we'll, we'll heal up. And uh, I did. Like, six months later, I'm carrying a fucking rock through the, uh, the Balkan Mountains. Like, Okay, guess I'm guess I'm fine now. So, uh, but that one that one has stayed with me. You don't really yeah. you know, walk shit like that off. Uh, but mostly, as long as I keep my back strong, it's okay. So, I had that one. Uh, took a couple of really hard hits in 2006 from uh, from IEDs and uh, and indirect fire and stuff. That was I didn't know it at the time, but in retrospect. The, uh, the the rocket hit I took in 2006 would be the most life changing. It's just the one that you don't you don't realize at the time. Uh, so the way that one went down, uh, we were in this little shitty place in southern Iraq called Diwania, and uh, we were taking indirect uh, fire all the time. It was just this little shithole full of uh, shit bags. Basically, they would train the sh- <laughs> <laughs> the Iranians <laughs> would would bring in their new forces, and they would uh, they would hit targets in Diwania. It was like a confidence target, what we call the military. Make sure they actually really knew their shit on a live fire target before they went up north to the uh, to fight in Baghdad. So we were just taking fucking punishment all the time. And there was only six of us down there. As that was all the forces they could dedicate at the time was what we call a split team ODA. So there were six of us. Uh, with some, you know, European form, but six guys that fucking mattered. Uh, so we're taking fucking just barrages of fucking rockets. Well, in the same week, I, uh, hand grenade goes off next to the truck. <clears throat> we're out fighting these fucking scumbags, and uh, we get stuck in this fucking alley, and they're just fucking lobbing grenades down. And one goes off, like, right next to the truck, and I dive on the fucking A-gunner, and I wouldn't know this at the time either, but actually, like, months later, I started getting a little piece of metal out of the back of my head. So, so I was close enough that yeah. I took some, I was really lucky it was an Iranian grenade too. I uh, said the, the wheel on that truck went flat, but it didn't go flat for a day. For whatever reason, their hand grenades had this like tiny, tiny, tiny shrapnel that wouldn't, it didn't have enough mass to like penetrate deep. If it had been like a, an American grenade, I would have been dead. Um, but in that same day, next thing you know, like an hour later, we're dragging the truck out and fucking uh, doing some other bullshit. And this fucking rocket comes in, an RPG, and it was so close it's, I'm amazed that there's not a fin strike in my helmet. So we run helmets tight and it actually moved my helmet down to the side of my head and blew up like, you know, over there, like right over there. Damn. So, yeah. So I had those two in the same day and uh, we didn't really know about concussive injury as much then. Like four or five days later, I'm walking across the parking lot at the fire base and I hear a big one coming in. I'm like, oh shit. And uh, I don't know exactly what happened, but I, I get up off the ground and uh, I wouldn't like understand this for like days still, but I was, I was unconscious. It knocked me out. And I'm like looking around for where this rocket impacted over here. Like, what the fuck? And I do that for like five or 10 minutes. And I'm like, just standing like dazed. Like, what, where'd that fucking thing go? And I look this way. And it actually clipped a building, like a little, you know, tin and, and two by four hooch, uh, like 20, 30 feet in front of me by like the edge in the airburst. As if it had come down in that parking lot, gravel parking lot, I mean, I would have blown holes to be this fucking big. But it was so close and it was a big bass. It was like a 122 that I, I was also alone. I have no idea how long I was unconscious. Uh, I have no idea any of that shit. Uh, and then, you know, went home like two weeks later and just was like, 
kind of a mess, but like not really willing to admit it because I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get, you know, put out of force either. Yeah. Yeah. Was that uh, when you decided to transition? How long did it take for you to, or did, I mean, talk about, talk about that. We're moving into, oh, moving yeah. into where you're at today and, you know, have water, take Absolutely. your time, brother. You don't have to fucking <laughs> not, not take a sip. Well, like, that was actually, uh, <laughs> I was actually at a transition point then too. When I joined, when I left the Marine Corps and went to the Army, I didn't go straight to the Army. I went to the National Guard first. Okay. That's actually, that was actually like the, the way that a lot of us Marines transitioned. Because you were kind of in the Army then, but you weren't really in the Army. <laughs> You'd go to, they have a Reserve Special Forces companies. So that's where a lot of us ended up. So right then, after those injuries, I was trying to go back to active duty. I was trying to go to an active uh, uh, detachment or an active group. So, again... With that, uh, when I left the Marine Corps, I didn't ever admit that those back injuries had happened. Like, I had my medic, like, fucking throw the x-rays away, so it never happened. Uh, same thing here. Like, I just took all these fucking blast injuries, but I have paperwork in my hands. I want to go be on an active team, like, right now. So we're like, okay, well, we'll fucking ignore that shit. Uh, and so then I find myself, once again, <laughs> in, the fucking, in the fucking fray. So that puts us to, uh, to 2007. And uh, 2007 was a fucking bloodbath. Uh, that was when we did the troop surge and all that bullshit. So I'd left uh, with my my team in 19th group. Six months later, I'm back with third group in the same fucking AO, doing the same fucking shit. Uh, but now, like, the intensity's gone up. Uh, and we're out there just fucking brawling, like, every fucking night. And uh, we actually took so many injuries in my unit. We were... Uh, let me think of the right way to say this because there's like shit that you can't say, shit that you can't. Uh, I was working at, at that point, I was in a, a dedicated direct action company. So we would, it was a full six ODAs, which is what makes a company split in half. So three teams over here, three teams over here. Two, what are dedicated assault teams that, you know, put breaching charges on the door if I do that shit. And one sniper team that's dual hatted. It does the assaulting and it does the sniper things. So we had two of those. Uh, and we would call those a troop. That's the, the designation for it. Out of my troop, we took so many fucking casualties. Uh, some dudes wounded like two and three times in the same trip that they were finally making them go home. Like, there was one dude out, Ray. Like, the third time he got shot, they were like, just, you're getting on the fucking plane <laughs> and you're going home. Like, like this, too much bad luck for one trip. Uh, they actually had to they had to bring over the instructors from the CQB school to backfill us because we lost so many people. We were almost combat ineffective. Uh, and so that same trip, I did something weird to my fucking shoulder building climbing. Because uh, you got all this shit. And you got, you know, basically like 100 pounds of armor and guns and all this shit. I don't know. We were chasing some little cocksucker, and I was climbing a building and running after him. And uh, something, like, torqued to my shoulder. And what I find out later is I tore my labrum. Oh, uh, buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Having had that on oh. my right arm, like, that oh, is dude. a gnarly one that fuck. does not get better. <laughs> fucking hurts, too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I think I'm, I'm like, fuck. Uh, so I go to my medics. I'm like, hey, man, I think this is fucked up. They're like, okay, we'll give you a couple nights off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I knew I was fucked up because I, I go out to the range and I couldn't even hold a pistol straight anymore. It was canted. Like, I was, like I was half gangster. Like, like yeah. I couldn't turn it up. Uh, so I go back to them like, man, I'm fucked up. And they're like, well, look, dude, fucking, we're, we're hurting bad on people. Like, we can send you to Germany for a, uh, an MRI, uh, but they're probably going to send you home because you're going to be injured enough. Or you can uh, put your ruck back on and we can go back to work. And uh, we were short enough on bodies, and I was having enough of a good time that I was like, eh, you know what, fuck it, I'll stay. Probably not the best decision I've ever made. But kept, uh, kept fighting through that tour and uh, 
Yeah, we say in the business, like, all I feel is recoil. Well, I felt more than recoil for the, for the duration of that. <laughs> yeah, it was, that's why I, I remember punching. Like, I was like, surely this will go away. I gave myself two, two weeks. Right. To, to let it rest and you know all the little muscles freak yeah. the fuck out yeah. because your arm's sliding out of the sh- out of the socket right? <laughs> right so naturally they're like wait 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 don't go I don't want to do wait. this yeah. right right yeah and then I remember like thinking it was healed and I started punching and I missed a punch and my arm came fucking all the way out I was hit doing mitt work and I was like fuck and it just the entire right side of my body went in pain down on my hip and I was like <gasps> Okay, all right, MRI, you know? And like six months had gone by with me dilly-dallying, thinking it was going to heal itself. And they're like, you got a good slap tear, oh, and you're going to need author, you know, arthroscopic surgery to yeah. get it to stay in place. If you yeah. ever want to punch or pu- push anything overhead again, right? it's the only way you're going to get that back. Yeah. And I was pretty against it, and I was like, all right, this, I don't know that I'll fight again but I do want to have my right hand if I ever need it right. to punch or to press right. or to do these things. Through your child of football? Like, yeah, that yeah. took me, it was like a year. They were like, oh, six weeks, you know, you're in a sling. It took me probably a full year working with Dr. Kelly Sturette and the mobility wad guys to actually get back full range of motion where I could come biceps to right. ear, overhead. Yeah. I could hang. I had strength. It was a whole, it was at least a year. Right. To get to there, yeah, you know, it's just fucking. Oh, it's, dude, it's nothing like, and no injury I've ever had been that that oh, bad. Dude, that thing hurts so fucking bad, and I, the surgery I think was worse. Like the mm-hmm. day you come out of surgery. So uh, anyway, I fought through the tour and came home, and you know they're like, "You're fucked up. We, we got a surgery," and you know they did whatever. I had no idea how bad. Some, I thought it was pretty tough. Like I've broken my fucking bag before. Like I'm good. I got out of surgery and I went home, and I'll never forget it. I was uh, I went to eat a sandwich with this hand. And this one's all slinged up. And I took a bite of that fucking sandwich. And the motion of my jaw made this side of my body hurt. So I almost threw up. Uh-huh. I had to, like, go, like, have a moment. And, you know. Yeah, you're, that's Chinese medicine. You're all the way to your to fingertips, yeah. to the jaw, right up the neckline, right? <laughs> oh, so bro. it's Bro. And, uh, yeah, that was fucking brutal. That, uh, that was awful. Uh, as you know, man, you've been, you've been down that road. So same thing. You know, they did surgery on it. And I did all that physical therapy to recover it. And, uh... At this time, too, it turned out from that RPG attack earlier. I didn't know this because you're young and strong, and you can take a lot of hits when you're young and strong. It's like it's like you know, in your mm-hmm. 20s, you're like fucking Wolverine, man. You just fucking heal up, like fucking. But well, I slipped some discs in my neck from that. I, I assume from that RPG attack. Uh, so they were pulled, they were bulged out. So those two things together, now I'm in fucking trouble because when this starts getting arthritic, it it pulls those those uh, those same discs. And I would get to the point that I couldn't move my head for like three weeks. It would be just excruciating fucking pain. All I could do, I couldn't even lay down because I couldn't lift my head. I couldn't stand the pain. I could sit in a chair like this for like a week or two until it went away. And then I was okay again. Uh, But yeah, so those things combined like really, really started catching up. And uh, one of the the worst things about the military, we're kind of catching up on it now. Uh, a little bit, but they've never, they've never applied the same level of like money and dedication that like the, really the pro athletes get for recovery. You know, like, uh, you know, dude in the NFL gets fucking, you know, a stub toe. Like he's going to fucking swarm that ass and they're going to do all the weird shit and like get the best fucking toe doctor in the fucking world. We didn't really have that. They started getting better at it as I was leaving. We got some like dry needle guys and we finally started getting some, uh, I mean, one of the first guys that came to third group, he was actually uh, like the, the head of sports medicine for the Atlanta Braves before that. They, cool. they, they got him and he showed up and he was like, what in the fuck? <laughs> like, like, you guys are like 50 years behind on, you know, physical therapy issues. Anyway, they finally got us some stuff like that, but it was 
towards the twilight of my career, so I was already basically paying for my for my sins. So the neck and uh, and shoulder thing actually got so bad uh, that I couldn't really even put on armor anymore. And uh, I didn't I didn't want out, but I went into uh, medical one day, and this this was like the the other great purge you never hear about. So now we're looking about 2012. Uh, so Obama is going into his second term, and uh, Obama really wanted to get rid of the war fighters. You know, Iraq's kind of dying down at this point, and uh, my, my theory is like they wanted the guys out that were like really fucking dangerous. So they did. They they hired all these other doctors and shit, and they started just pouring through our medical records. This was not just soft guys. This was uh, you know, Rangers, 82nd Airborne, everybody. Anybody that had been injured to a point that they thought they could put them out, they did. So I go in to get like a resupply of meds or whatever, and this new doctor is like, hold the fuck on, bro. Like, you should have been medically discharged like five years ago. Like, uh, you like take this fucking paperwork home and you're done. I was like, damn, like that. Yeah, like that. Overnight. Wow. Uh, you know, I didn't want to be fucking done, but, you know, nine months later, like, I was out the fucking door. And uh, the, I actually got lucky. So they did the medical thing first because that was easy. Well, the next year or the next two years after that, they did the same thing with your legal record. So this one was fucking crazy. This is one that people don't really know about. They went back through everybody's medical records or legal records to find shit like they did maybe when they were like a private ranger battalion. I knew guys at like tier one, fucking, we can't even say the name on the fucking podcast, uh, special operations. They were having to go to what's called a quality management board for shit that happened to them when they were 19 in Ranger Regiment. Now, keep in mind, they fought like 15 tours between now and then, you know, fucking saved the fucking world, you know, fucking shopping Laden's cousin, whatever kind of bullshit. And they were fucking Xing those dudes out like, do not pass go, do not collect $200, get the fuck out of here. Wow. For, for nonsense. Wow, I've never heard about that. No, before. most people it's, don't know about it. It was, yeah. uh, it was, you know, it's like the kind of shit that, like media never talked about. Of course, yeah, of course, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. The, now. Yeah, their their golden boy, his DOD was pushing it, but they put a lot of guys out like that. A fucking lot. That was where a lot of our experience went. Talk about your transition. You know, I mean, it's a big one. Um, it's a big one for everyone. When I transitioned from football, when football ended for me, that was the most pressed time of my life by yeah. far. Yeah. Uh, thankfully I found fighting and then through fighting, my, my boxing coach looked exactly like this, this shaman right here. <laughs> I mean, one. oddly, like identical, wow. um, identical. Uh, and his, he was, uh, his name was Huitzilin, which translates in Aztec to the hummingbird. So there's just nothing but hummingbirds in that, in that drawing with him. And I was like, Dude, that is absolutely wild. divine that Aubrey picked this out. That's and wild. he's got his medicine man, Don Howard, next to my medicine man. But Quitsi wow. um, was a medicine man. He brought me out for sweat lodges and plant medicine. So when I wow. transitioned from fighting, I was cool. I didn't yeah. know what the fuck I was going to do. Yeah. But I understood life differently. I had a deeper connection to yeah. source. And it's like, I know to trust this and that yeah. then it's all good. I can hang it up. But after football, man, it was fucking brutal. Devastating, right? Yeah. Absolutely devastating. Yeah. Talk about that transition, what that was like. So, uh, man, that one is tough. And that's one that a lot of guys don't get. And I, I do think the guys that come the closest to understanding are probably athletes. Because also, you guys live in the same life. So, for me, it was like I hadn't done anything else since the day I turned 18. Uh, you know, I'd been a fucking soldier that entire time. That was all I knew. Uh, you even end up, like, weirdly, like, not even understanding, like, the, the size and depth of, like, the nation that you live in. Um, and then, you know, not through my own hand, not because I fucked up or anything like that. They're just like, you're fucking done. Like, here's your shit. And, uh, you know, now we're 15 years down the line and like, okay, man, fucking uh, you're Clay Martin again. Fucking here's your shit. Uh, get the fuck out. 
<laughs> so you do, man. I, I distinctly remember like even like the first two or three days that I was retired and I get up to my house. I still live outside of Fort Bragg. So I purchased a house there at this point. I, I live, I'm dedicated there. Uh, and like I just, I went outside and I like trimmed the bushes or some shit. And then like, I don't know, mowed the fucking lawn. And then, I, <laughs> what do I do with my hands? I did, <laughs> dude, I sit down on my back porch and it's like noon. Shoulders fucking hurting from trimming the bushes and shit because that's how fucked up my shit is. And I was just like, like, what do I do, man? Like, what? Like, it's a, like a complete loss of identity to him. Like, like, I don't even know what the fuck I am anymore. Like, what am I doing? Uh, so, like a lot of guys, and this is something I've really tried to help my, my brethren with now that I've experienced it and did it completely the wrong fucking way uh that i you know also when you i think it would be different if like i was approaching my 20 years and like i'm gonna put my paperwork it was just sudden it was a fucking instant transition uh so for a lot of us man like we cannot fucking handle it and i could not fucking handle it i didn't know what the fuck to do uh i had no idea how to do things like like make money for instance like basically you know, if you'd been in the fucking warrior cast for like 15, you like, you get paid the same regardless. Like, your check comes in the first and 15th. Like, is this much money? You're not even allowed to have a side job. Like, because we don't have time for this shit. And uh, you're like legally not allowed to do it anyway. Because uh, they want you to be like working for, you know, a scope company while you're, you know, buying scopes for the army, you know, some bullshit like that. So, uh, so like, I was no fucking idea what to do with my life. I'm like, I guess guys keep score out here with dollars. So I guess I'll try that. But you don't really know how to do that. Like, you know, like, you don't know business terms. I, had to, I ended up having to call my buddy's dad who'd been like a stock trader or some shit. I'd be like making business to be like, hold on. Hey man, uh, what the fuck is an ROI and you know, a P&L? I'd be like, okay, hang on, fucking, uh, this is like relates. But yeah, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, you have no idea what the fuck you're doing. Uh, you know, also I didn't really understand anything else except for kind of defense sector. Cause I was also uh, a pro shooter at the time. I had taken my time at the close core battle school to shoot competitively. Cause that was something we were allowed to do. Uh, so I like no guns. So I'm like driving all over the fucking place, like making like weird arms deal, like intermediary. Like we need some, you know, whatever's in Africa. Like, Oh fuck man. I know a guy fucking, uh, bought a bunch of gunpowder from the Czech Republic and like imported it with like licensing and shit, but basically had no idea what the fuck was going on. No idea what the fuck I was doing. Uh, started drinking like fucking heavily. Like is alcohol is also a curse on the military anyway. Like we culturally overdo alcohol anyway, even when we're in like way, it's like the number probably by profession, we probably abuse that drug more than anybody else. Uh, it's the only one we can get. Uh, you know, it also does do something to numb the pain a little bit. Uh, it fucks everything else up, but you don't know that at the time. Uh, so anyway, drinking like a fifth a day, just like fucking spiraling down, fucking just catastrophe. And it took a really long time to start coming out of that. Uh, you know, we, everybody knows about like the 22 a day to the suicides, like the veteran suicides. The soft guys do it a little bit different. Uh, I, we don't kill ourselves as often blatantly, but there have been so many dudes I knew that did like, uh, what's the, what's the, I have, I have a phrase for it that I can't remember right now. It's like, uh, it's a form of suicide as well though. It's almost like slow suicide. I got, dude, I knew guys that were like straight up fucking war hero, fucking, you know, Johnny fucking Jim, fucking super commandos, like overdosed on fucking heroin, like six months after they retired. They were, I believe that they actually wanted an out too. 
Yeah. But they weren't going to fucking, you know, so they started doing some fucking crazy shit. And dude, I was going to say that. I would be like, I had a rental fucking Kia, like drunk out of my mind, fucking driving around the mountains as fast as I could, you know, shit like that. I just, it's honestly, it's just a miracle that some of us end up living through that transition period. Because uh, it really is it's dark. It's, it's a fucking bad time. Uh, so for me, you know, fucking drank probably enough to, you know, fucking do some permanent damage to my liver. Uh, fucked up everything I touched. Got divorced. Like, you know, all the shit. Uh, and really what kind of brought me out of the fucking the death spiral was I met my current wife, uh, Carrie. Uh, so I met her and like she was having none of the bullshit that I was living prior to this, which was, <laughs> which was a fucking disaster. <laughs> like that chapter of my life could be its own fucking book. Uh, but anyway, she was having none of that shit. Uh, so it was kind of a choice. It was like, well, do you want to get your shit together and be a grown up and be with me or do you want to keep fucking being you? Uh, and I didn't want to keep being me. So and it was a good thing, too, because uh, she was uh, pregnant with our first son. So, yeah, that makes the choice. <laughs> right, add right. a little bit of weight to right, that choice. Right, right. And that really actually was good for me, too, because uh, without my son, my first son, I probably still wouldn't have corrected my, my fucking my path. Uh, but it did. Uh, so... Huge transition. I moved from North Carolina where I was living in like a, you know, fucking apartment that's not not unlike these ones down here, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, just a fucking disaster. Loaded up my shit and I uh, moved to Idaho with her like within like, you know, a week. Uh, and uh, yeah, then found out she was pregnant with my son and then, you know, really had to like start adulting and kind of yeah. like figure my shit out. I think that's such a, an important piece on, you know, as we transition a little bit into the, the prepping talk and what we see in the world is the weight of, you know, like I've, I've when, before I had kids, it was like, if shit, it's the fan, I'll go to fuck Costa Rica or yeah. you know, bring my wife out. They're like, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go to fucking Thailand, <laughs> just fucking retire on a beach somewhere and watch the world go to shit. Yeah. You know, and then you have kids and you're like, the, the weight of which the, the weight of which would my game is played, right? Like how I show up, right? And same thing for you. That's yeah. why it's cemented. The anchoring cord, the grounding cord of being a dad is like, okay, I have to be this way. Right. And not everyone says that. Some people right. are like, fuck it, and I'm just going to drink more, right? Right. But most good dads or good moms are going to are going to let that that uh, that pressure make them better. Yes. They're going to say, okay, I'm going to show up better. Right. Um, but the weight has changed. The game yeah. is different, right? For your internal, for yourself, and then also with what you see in the world, right? You know, and and it, and it did change for you when you you wrote Concrete Jungle, obviously with with some shit in mind, right? And and I definitely want you to speak to about you know your experience in other countries and yeah. seeing how governments operate to like help the warning signals come in, right? Yeah. Um, but the transition when you write the second book in 2020, it's like it's night and day. Like, hey, I'm yeah. not. Uh, I'm not playing it down the middle here politically. I'm not, it's like all fucking bets are off right now, you know, but the weight of which, how that impacts us. I don't give a fuck about politics until I had kids. Right. And then I was like, oh, oh shit. What kind of world are we going to leave for them? Right. Right. What right. are they, what are their, what is their experience going to be like in school? What's their experience going to be like online? What's their experience going to be like when they go to try to get a job? Right. All that stuff, you know? So, so yeah. talk a bit about that, you know, as you, you know, become a dad and, um, you know, with your background, right? What is it, you know, that you started saying well, that really started raising flags and well, it, it, dude, like you said, it really does change you. And uh, you know, also, I, I will say this: I, I did not. I had friends like the whole time I was in the military that had kids while we we're doing that life. And I, as soon as I had my son, I didn't fucking understand how they did it all of a sudden because I wouldn't have. Uh, 
I, you know, I, I can't say this fully because it didn't happen to me then, but I would have quit, I believe. Uh, I would not have done that job being gone for six, nine months at a time. Uh, but mad respect to the guys that are somehow able to fucking shoulder that burden and keep going. But uh, yeah, I was the same as you. Like fucking, you know, if this starts out tomorrow, like I'm going to fuck, I'll ride my Harley around with a fucking Creedmoor on my back and a fucking samurai sword. <laughs> I'm going to fuck. It's different when you have kids. As uh, You know, those are our genetic lineage. Uh, that's how we live forever as men. Uh, you know, my children are going to the fucking stars, however many generations that fucking takes. And that's, it's like, it's like a light switch when that happens. Like, you're no longer some fucking dickhead that can, you know, die at will or, you know, go out in a fucking cocaine binge. Like, <laughs> now you're a different fucking guy and you have this incredible responsibility to ensure that their world is, uh, is functional. They don't, they're not born into slavery or, or some other fucking shit. So that really did uh, affect me and it affected the writings and affected the way I look at the world entirely. Uh, so... That was when I started probably seeing things through a different lens. Probably about 2017, 2018, which would make my son like a year and too old. Because you don't just see all that shit at once. You're yeah. looking at the world now through a different perspective. So that was when my awareness started to grow that like things were not okay. All right. They were not. They were not what we're led to believe. Uh, and we were already on a glide path then of... Basically, the, the the way it's been phrased, uh, there's a really good uh, uh, fictional writer that you should pick up named uh, John Twelve Hawks. Mm. He wrote like five books. Uh, I can't remember the names of them, but uh, they look fruity as shit. But he really saw this shit like 20 years ago. Uh, and his phrase for it was the Panopticon, which is uh, this uh, British jail that was uh, idealized in like the 1700s where one guard could watch like a thousand prisoners because they all watched each other. Now, there's all this like interesting shit that goes into it. But that was kind of what I already saw descending on us between our phones and, uh, you know, supercomputers and all this other shit was like a 24-7 surveillance state that a very small minority of people can control. Not because they can necessarily control you. They can control all the filters above you that keep you doing exactly what they want to do. Uh, and then we really fucking saw that with, uh, with covid uh, that was a whole fucking shit show. Uh, it could be its own fucking podcast too. But so it's funny. I actually started writing Concrete Jungle in like 2019. It was like 80% of the way done. Uh, no publishing house would touch it. It was like, you know, we go back that far, like, like <laughs> urban survival. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, you can't sell this shit. Are you going to buy that? Yeah, like, that's fucking nonsense. <laughs> it's like, uh, so it was like 80% of the way done. And I didn't even release it for COVID because I was actually still under a contract with, uh, with an agent. Uh, so nobody would buy it. So therefore, I couldn't self-publish it. I didn't, I didn't put Concrete Jungle out until like the first week of the Floyd riots. So that was actually the change. It wasn't the COVID itself. It was when the riots started and all of a sudden, like, because we're, I mean, you got to think back to how weird that time was. Like, we're still like masks and businesses are closed, but you can gather 30,000 people in the fucking streets and loot a Nike store. That's fine. No masks necessary. Exactly. And that was where I was really like, oh, fuck. Oh, wait a minute. Like, this is, uh, this is bad. And Concrete Jungle was basically a, a direct address to that. It was, it was just most of the way done. So I finished it up in like a weekend and uh, you'll still see if you buy it today. There's some like type, I didn't have time to send it to a fucking freelance editor, none of that shit. I know, nobody's like, going to give a shit about that. Yeah, it's such, it's <laughs> so fucking great. Brother. It's an abs It's one of my favorites. But, but it was like, Literally, like the day my my publishing contract ended, so they didn't have control of me anymore. 
fucking lob that bitch into the fucking ether. And uh, it was, it was, uh, it was made basically for that situation. But the other thing that I saw there that uh, probably a lot of other people, you, you would see this if you'd been like a trained to start riots, which is actually one of our jobs too. Um, uh, so that also gives you the ability to see what's controlling this. There's all these, there's key elements to a riot. You don't just have a bunch of mobs show up and do a bunch of shit. You have little command nodes and shit like that. You have agitators. You have all these other like classes of people that are your guys on the payroll that you use to, to fucking make things go the way you want them to go. If you knew how to do all that shit and you were watching this shit from the news, uh, just the overhead footage and shit, you could see it happening. Uh, you could see they had little uh, white cars. Uh, there were command and control modules that you would see going back and forth to places like pushing the crowd or starting like violence and shit over here or not over here because there's a heavy police presence or there's some that we don't want to damage. I kind of pull them over here to do this instead. And that's where I was like, oh, fuck, this is like way more controlled and uh, therefore way better financed and therefore happening at a much, much higher level than I would have anticipated. All right, this is not some grassroots bullshit. This is like a well-funded, well-put-together organization specifically driving an agenda. Uh, and right around that time also, so probably we're going through like June 2020 now into like July. That was also when I was like, oh, shit. Uh, it was like a, a flash of vision. Like they're going to steal this election uh, or at the very least this election is going to be so contested that it could be like the thing that throws us into you know, very real civil, civil fucking conflict. So I started running Prairie Fire. So hammered that thing out and I got it out like a week, uh, like I think it was October 31st of 2020. So like a week before election time, but you know, there were two counterbalancing things. The first one was made specifically for people that live in cities to be able to survive. Uh, the second one was made for if that shit doesn't work, how do the, you know, the country folks survive and how do you absorb, you know, your friends and relatives from over here into, you know, uh, a cohesive thing that you can actually use to survive. So there was a lot of shit that I did that they worked together best as there were a lot of things yeah. that I put in the first one that I didn't put in the second one, but that was kind of the, the impetus behind those two. But the, uh, the big deal there was I, I see that things are not going to continue the way that they always have. Uh, and it doesn't really matter how that comes about. I, I see that we'll have, I think worldwide, like a, a fracturing, of the, the huge nation state system that we've always had. We'll go back to, you know, either smaller countries or, you know, kind of like regional war bands or, you know, city states in some cases, uh, or we'll all be enslaved by, you know, fucking <laughs> <laughs> globalist fucking weirdos that control everything we do just like they do in China, uh, which I will not let happen to my sons. Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. I mean, really the, the, the main thing, whether you're talking about world economic forum or any of these things is, and there's a, there's a brilliant, brilliant fucking article I just read on Armstrong Economics, which really dives into this. And I'll, I'll post this in the show notes because it is a happy ending. Um, the drive, the full, what's felt like a full court press, you know, from yeah. globalists or people in power is, is really has been due to the failure and ending of central bank. Like we're going to see this end. And as that ends, because the debt's so high and no one can buy it off, what that's going to lead to, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing poorly, so please read the article so you understand <laughs> it for yourself, but what this leads to is a drive for, a, for the collection of power. Can we make it a one-world government where there is top-down control and you have about four sections of, of the world that are all cohesively working together? Um, and with that, the complete centralization of power through 
big brother, right? Through mm-hmm. fucking, and I, yeah. I would have never fucking even batted an eye at this shit until mid COVID. I'm watching right. cameras go up on every fucking streetlight, yeah. you know, like everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. Fucking mm-hmm. they, my neighborhood I bought into is fucking smart grid system. Wow. They, you know, like they gave us free, uh, Sono speakers that had microphones. They give us a free Alexa. They give us all this free shit, right? There's video cameras and microphones all throughout the house. Yeah, and like ring oh, doorbells, all that we shit. Gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to get rid of that. And um, wow. every streetlight in there had a had a camera on it. And when I first moved there, I was like, look, I travel a lot. Yeah, this is great. It'll deter the house crime. Safe. Yeah, keep my wife and kids safe when I'm yeah. gone. I'm like, who's who's actually looking at that? Right. Who has access to that? Yeah. Right. And so right. you know, the, the 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 stage has been set for that. I don't think it's going down that way. I think we will find a decentralization of power, but it's going to go one of two ways. It has to. Right? It has yeah. to. And in the decentralization, that could mean uh, a sticky component. You know, I talked to, to Tim about this after I read your first two, you know, Concrete Fire and, and or Concrete Jungle and Prairie Fire. And I said, you know, economically, do you think we have a reset? And then socially, you know, do we, do we have, you know, Venezuela, yeah. do we have something that's yeah. really bad? And he goes, economically, it's guaranteed. Socially, I don't, I'm not sure yet, right? We got to watch, you know, and that's yep. kind of been, been my take thus far is like, look, we don't know. But when shit happens like that, like if people have a really hard time wrapping their heads around that because they haven't been to war-torn countries. Right. Like that's one of the greatest gifts, yeah. aside from meeting my wife, of having been to these places is like you get to see firsthand, like this is what shit looks like afterwards. This is what it goes back to. It's fucking barter. It's people trading a goat right. for, for some rice and some other rice. things that they need. Like, this is what it looks like, you know? And yeah. it's like, it's not a place that I want to create. It doesn't mean that that won't, you know, have benefit long-term. It certainly right. would if it meant decentralization. Right. But it is a very real possibility. Oh, yeah. It's a very yeah. real possibility. Big time, big time. Uh, people really have a hard time absorbing here in America, especially, because we haven't seen anything on that scale since 1860. And even then, only if you lived in certain areas. You know, if you lived in, you know, Georgia back then, yeah, okay, fucking after the war's over, like, you you get it uh, for a minute. But you still also have the Union and their money in Reconstruction. Now, maybe they're molding you in a way they want it to be, but they're, they're you know, they're helping you. Uh, maybe out in the far west where we uh, we didn't have really any real assets, you could kind of see it then we were still fighting the uh, the natives to a degree. But for, yeah, for the most part, that's the last time America's seen it. We've never fought over here uh, since. Uh, and all the tools of modern war have never been employed on U.S. soil, aside from, you know, a moment in, in historically speaking of you know, Pearl Harbor or the Japanese invade one of the little fucking Kodiak Islands. And like, this shit doesn't count. Yeah, it's I, way off mainland. Right. Way yeah. the fuck off mainland. It, it in no way affected us here. Uh, and then also, you know, we had such an economic benefit from the end of World War II because our country wasn't fucking destroyed like everybody else's that we've been basically living in fantasy land since like 1946. Uh, so people, you know, it's normalcy bias. People, they don't think it could possibly happen here. And whereas you and I both know, if you look at history, like that's the norm. Like that's how fucking normal civilizations work. What we're in right now is a blip that could end at any second. And uh, I, I do think that we're headed there. Yeah, you know, like you said, I, I believe also the economically is a foregone conclusion. And you can look at the market watches and shit. Like this is not going to be okay. Like even just the money we printed during COVID, like this shit fucking like eighty percent, eighty percent of our current money oh that was printed in the last it's, three years. Like the the effects of inflation on that are we're right. we're not even scratching the tip of the iceberg right. when it comes to that those oh, long term long downstream effects. Dude, now, I've been talking with our mutual friend uh, Tucker about this. Like I'm seeing things for sale. On, this is uh, this is my economic impetus. Look at like Facebook Marketplace or just around like shit that's for sale on a street corner right now. 
There is some crazy shit for sale at an incredibly cheap price. People are trying to liquidate because they can't pay their fucking bills anymore because inflation is already kicking their ass. Things that you couldn't buy, like, at the height of COVID, like, you know, campers and motorcycles and all this other shit. Things that should still be in a shortage of supply are for sale right now cheaper than you've seen in the last 10 years. Uh, we're seeing it with uh, anything that's even remotely a luxury good. Uh, that's that's already happening at scales that you can click on your fucking computer and watch and see happen. Now, the social part, I believe, Tim's right. We, we don't know for certain if it will happen yet, but I believe it will happen because the alternative is, is that. The alternative is live in fucking China under their social credit score system, just like they have only worse now because also there's no outside pressure, or things go sideways a little bit the other way. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean like, you know, artillery barrages on fucking Austin. It more means like regional breakdown of power. You know, you get a couple of governors are just like, we're not fucking doing this. Or uh, even some like, you know, county level areas are just like, we're, we're not fucking, we're not even paying our tax and we're fuck you. You get enough of those. And uh, basically you've had secession by, uh, by default. Like it's just, it's its own little area. And, and, and uh, I, I believe that that's where we're headed. You know, your control of your five miles is what matters, uh, and that's a hard thing to face, but, you know, facts do be facts. Talk a little bit about what that looks like when people think about prepping, for yeah. lack of a better term. Um, they think about, you know, how much food and water they got right. in their closet, how much ammunition do I have. Right. You know, like what this actually looks like is, is, is yes, uh, yes, in part, that's right. a piece of it, but, like, there's right. so much more to it than that. Right. Well, you know, that was actually, that was a, a huge impetus behind uh, Prairie Fire and Concrete Jungle as well, too. Dude, I've been kind of, like, in the prepper space, like, at least, like, watching it for, like, 20 years now, uh, just kind of how it was. Uh, and you saw it go from, like, uh, you know, the Cold War model of we're going to get nukes, I got to have a fucking bunker, and, like, you know, an underground bunker with my shit in it, and then I'll, you know, fight the mutants when it's over. <laughs> that kind of bullshit. Zombie apocalypse. Yeah, 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 exactly. The zombie apocalypse in the early 2000s. And the people prep for that kind of same way. Like, okay, I'll stockpile all this shit in the garage, and uh, that's it. That's what matters. I, none of that shit actually works. I, what works is friends. What works is having a fucking tribe and a robust, you know, group of, of people and that was really the story uh, of those two books. Man, I've seen this shit happen fucking worldwide. Like, the people that survived were the ones that had a strong tribe when it started. And it didn't matter how fucking hard they got hit, they were still okay. Because so they've got a lot of manpower, they've got a lot of brain power, they collectively had a lot of supplies. All right, and that also kind of gives them a structure where they can start doing things. Uh, like, do you know how long the power was out in Iraq after we invaded? Like a week. Like maybe two. And that was not only because we had a vested interest in getting the power grids back up as a nation. But those dudes that ran the fucking power grid before that, like, okay, we start bombing the fuck out of things. Everybody goes home like, oh my God, we're going to hide. Well, like a week later when they're out of fucking raviolis or uh, they don't have any uh, power, they're like, hold on. Like, I have a marketable thing that I know how to do, which is make this fucking power plant make electricity. And uh, as long as we have, like, you know, one guy, you know, Bob, the ex-manager, <laughs> they can figure out how to trade this for money or goods or whatever, we can make it work. So because that a lot of those places, like, power went back on, oil went back on, uh, there, there was a robust black market in gasoline in Iraq until the minute I left in, like, 2010. Like, you could go buy gas. When it wasn't at the gas station, you could buy gas on the side of the road out of a jerry can for, like, $5 a gallon. Uh, you know, <laughs> people find a way. Uh, so the, the, the point I'm really trying to make there is, like, it's not about 
how much food you have. It's not about how many fucking bullets you have. It's about how many friends you have, as well as some of those other things do help too. You know, I, I always put it for, for perspective, especially with looking at the old model. Like, look, man, I could read off my whole resume of fucking commando guy shit, and I sound like fucking, you know, John Rambo putting a blender with fucking Bob Lee Swagger. I am. I'm all that shit. But I can't do a shit by myself. Uh, not even fucking close. Like, I don't stand a fucking chance by myself. If for no other reason, like, I have to sleep sometime, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like, all right, I can stay for the first three days, but after that, like, I got to sleep. Like, so I need friends. You know, I need a community that I'm a part of. And collectively, we all, you know, we, we project strength where we have to. All right, we can protect a, a bigger amount of assets. Uh, we can actually put up an outer perimeter and protect these things well enough that our wives and kids can do things like fucking, you know, Read, study, play violin, right, do right, all their right. normal shit. Well, even yeah. things that are going to help us, like milk the fucking cows or yeah. uh, feed them, uh, yeah. you know, watch them in the field. So that's the thing that I think most people are missing. Like tribe, tribe is so much more fucking important than anything else. Like you've got to have your people and you have to organize that before. You can't, can't wait till the crisis happens and be like, okay, man, let me see which ones my neighbors are fucking good to go. I can't text somebody. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Hmm, comms are down. Right. Uh, right. Who the fuck right. can I call? Yeah, it's such a, it's a critical piece. And it's also the piece that matters most to us. You know, yeah. like no one, even the most introverted person still seeks companionship. They still right. seek friendship. They right. still seek acknowledgement. They still seek to be seen and felt right. from another human. Yeah. You know, and so like building that, I mean, what a cool, it's funny. I used to have a, a lot of, um, one of the intentions that I had in a ceremony a couple of years ago was that I could live without fear. And okay. since then, I've never experienced more fear in my life. So it kind of fucking, it kind of backfired, right? It backfired right, in a right, major right. way. And I was just, I was laughing my ass off the other day when I had that realization. Um, but what a wonderful fire fear is lit under my ass yeah. to start a regenerative farm, do all these things that are, to, to, to continue to homeschool our kids, you know, right. to know the why behind right. it that much more effectively. And, um, you know, not everybody's going to homeschool. Not everybody's going to, going to start a farm. I right. get that. Um, but at the same time, and it, it's been something that has been community building. And really what that is, is when I talked to Daniel Griffith uh, on the podcast, he's a, one of the most dialed in young regenerative farmers on the planet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's like, mother culture is going to fail. Yeah. Whatever we think of as that, mother mm -hmm. culture is going to fail in our lifetimes. Yeah. Not, it's not our kids' problem. Yeah. It's, it's our problem. And in that, can we build parallel systems and put them in place yeah. So when it happens, there's some streamlined things that actually make it an easier transition rather than who inherits the rubble. Right. 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 Yeah. What, dude, it's also important that you bring up fear. Uh, I think this is, an, this is an important discussion for us to have. Uh, as people look at, at people like me and assume that we're fucking fearless and that we're not. Uh, dude, I've known, I have actually probably known like one or two guys in, in my entire life that actually were without fear. They were just like born without it. But a lot of those guys actually end up dying quickly uh, early on because they, they don't have any. Uh, and it's even amongst like the soft guys and shit, like it is extraordinarily rare to, uh, to have actually no fear. I almost think of it as like a mutation that's not necessarily good. Yeah. For the rest of us, dude, fucking, I'm scared of shit. I'm, I'm scared of all kinds of shit. Like the dark spiders, fucking snakes. Like <laughs> fear is a powerful heights. Uh, I'm actually terrified of heights. Now, I, I had a stupid job because I hate fucking heights. But uh, every time I climbed up in a fucking airplane to jump out of it, I thought about quitting. Yeah, that's a, wow. real, that's a real thing. It's uh, like between us girls, I guess all the people in podcasting. <laughs> it's fucking real. I actually went to uh, Halo School, which is a high altitude low opening where you jump from like really fucking high. 
I uh, learned how to free fall with a dude whose name I won't say because he's still on active uh, and he's at like the world's premier fucking counterterrorism force right now. But uh, we were Marines together and then we were on the same operational detachment alpha and we got sent to Halo school the same day, way late in our careers. He hates heights too. He was just scared of me. So every fucking day <laughs> we were at Halo school, he'd be like, hey man, between the two of us, we got like nine combat tours. We got like some medals for valor and shit. He's like, we can quit this motherfucker right now. Walk out of the door. <laughs> nobody can really say shit. I was like, that's a very good point. We didn't. But but my point is, is fear is is healthy. All right, it's, it's how we manage and how we deal with it. It's, it's actually a, th- a thing. And uh, if you're without, if you're actually without fear, uh, you're actually missing a part of yourself as a human being. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. There, there was a, a quote in the New Mulan I was watching with Bear, yeah. the live action, where the, the father says, there is no courage without fear. Mm. Right? You can't, that doesn't exist. Dude, that's fucking without, legit. Because courage happens in the face of fear. That's fucking legit. And that's brilliant because courage is the thing we're trying to attain, but how does that happen? It happens right. by, by frontally facing what's ahead of you right. and walking towards it, right. not running from it. Right. You know, and I think that, that frontal face posture, metaphorically, is being able to look at this stuff and say, cool, what do I do now? How does that look? Well, do, I, you know, do, exactly. I, do I grow some of my own food? Do I talk to other people who have, you know, where's my local guy? So if the grocery right. store closes, I can still get some yeah. really good milk and some meat, you know? Right. Well, dude, you're exactly right, too, with what we were talking about earlier. Uh, you know, how do we go to bed at night knowing this? Well, that's it. You know, okay, I'm afraid of some fucking bad shit, but I also know that I can fucking handle it. This is the self-confidence thing and the, uh, the thing. You know, I've worked on my skills today. I've worked, on, I've, I've worked through these contingencies as well as I can. That allows me, even with this little bit of fear seep in, fuck it, I'm going to sleep like a baby and I'm going to be okay. You, you have to have both. Yeah. Yeah, and it does light a fire to keep the sword sharp, no yeah. matter what oh, that is, whether yeah. that's through handgun training or distance shooting or Go some to the type of martial today. arts, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. such a, it is a really empowering thing uh, we box every Friday morning, me and the guys on my farm squad, nice. you know, Eric, the EOD, yeah. former EOD and, and uh, a couple other guys. And it's just a, it's such a cool thing. It's not a workout. Yeah. It's not fucking cardio. It's not yeah. how we lose fat and, yeah. and build muscle. It's right. just a fucking, it's the thing is, is it's right. self-serving, right. right? You know why you're there because it's awesome. Right. And we come out of that just glowing. We yeah. saw, I was like, this is the best pre-podcast <laughs> meal I ever could have eaten was fucking boxing practice right before a couple back-to-back podcasts. You know, it was like, it's just perfect. You know, so I think that the more things we can do that attract us, that actually leave us more whole than when we started, yeah. the better. Like we're adding right. in these things that actually, no matter what happens in the end of the day, they will have improved our lives significantly. Right, right. Well, that's actually a point that, uh, that Tucker brings up very well, too, that balances this. You know, even if I knew that none of this bad shit was going to happen, would I still live my life this way? And uh, yes, I would. As I, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me? Like, I've spent a couple grand in shit in the pantry that I'm never going to use. Like, okay, that's a very cheap insurance policy at the end of the day. You know, it really is. All the other stuff, like, okay, I learned how to shoot better this week. Like, all right, man, awesome. Uh, that investment into guns, that's a life skill anyway. This time at the gym, uh, this learning how to do regenerative farming and taking care of my animals and stuff, I cannot think of a better way to raise my children. In fact, uh, one of the things that we're going to do next year, we're, we're finally positioned, we're going to come up with a, a similar setup that we're going to uh, buy into. But uh, having had land and stuff and then lost it and then having to be back in the suburbs and then now having the potential to get back to it, I cannot think of a better way to raise my children. Uh, coming from like uh, having acreage like that to being in town, my youngest son is like a caged animal. Like he's like a fucking like a, a like a lion at the zoo. He paces around the backyard, and I can tell that he's unhappy with this you know prison that's been built for him. 
uh, he was so much happier when he had, you know, goats and shit and he could, you know, go watch them be goats. That's like the most entertaining thing that you'll ever have. Uh, so yeah, man, I would live my life exactly the same way. Absolutely, brother. Well, let's talk about the latest one a little okay. bit before we yeah. close out. The Wrath of Wendigo is, uh, is fucking awesome. <laughs> it is really so good. It's, it's a fiction and, uh, you know, but really with that, there is so many truth laid, layered into it. I remember texting you as I was reading it, maybe a few chapters <laughs> in, and I was like, dude, for those that know, like, it's looking right in there. Talking <laughs> about blood work and shit like that. Like, what's, what are they showing up in there? Graphene oxide, shit like that. I was like, oh, fuck, it's all fucking here uh, for those of the guys to see it. And, um, and it's really brilliant. It's brilliant because it really shows, you know, in one possible outcome of what would right. happen should right. this go down. How does yeah. that look? In actuality, how do right. people, you know, form sections of, of population that are able to to live the life they want to live, which was right. the originally the design of the states. Right. You know? that, that's the original design, right. you know, like, like yeah. the Tucker's been talking about that lately, too, at the elections. Like, California can be California. Texas right, can be Texas. Like, fuck yeah, yeah man. You want to live with that stuff? You cool. want to have all that? Cool, man. There you go. California. Right. You don't have to change right. countries. <laughs> right. You know, it's a three-hour flight. You're good. Right. And Texas can say Texas in these different places. Doesn't mean no states evolve or we don't come up with new ideas. But um, that's super resonant for me. And I just, I, I love this book. I love how you laid these things out and really dove into it. Um, there's a lot of things in here that are also have been like hitting a chord for me too with Norse mythology, things like that. I started getting into Neil Gaiman's work. Nice. Um, phenomenal stuff there. But talk a bit about, you know, all of the things that went into this briefly, if you can. Okay. I know it's fucking, <laughs> I know it's a lot. Now, now, now briefly is difficult with this, but I, I will definitely try. Um, all right. First, you know, the introduction in that people have, have asked me like, is, you know, is this marketing bullshit or whatever? The guys that know don't have to ask. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, the first three pages I wrote in there, it's actually true. All right. This actually was a vision that I, I could not ignore. Uh, and it's actually an older vision than you would think. I started having these visions uh, for this book about three years ago. Three, it was like 2019. It was before COVID, it was before all this other shit. Uh, and I, I, I felt them and I didn't want to do it, man. Uh, I didn't, want to write this fucking book uh because you've you've read it now like you know the, the things that are in there and uh i was like oh man for for a variety of reasons like one i'm gonna get canceled like like the shit that's coming <laughs> like, they're coming for me someone's for knocking one. on your door <laughs> one day <Yeah. laughs> and then uh to the further possibility of uh a lot of the things that i wrote about in there like as soon as like the the powers like actually figure out what was said like i've i've just gone from uh you know maybe a guy that they ignore to probably catching a hellfire through the living room window on day one of the jihad if you get right down to it but uh it was uh, it was things that i couldn't ignore and i i tried actually to ignore my responsibility to do this for for like a long time and then i, I started feeling more and more of an impetus of like you this this has to be told uh, so finally, uh, you know, I did, uh, and it was funny too, because I, one of the pieces of that vision was that I couldn't have the entire story to a point that I could form it until I got my own personal shit together because my shit was not together. Uh, you know, it'd be cool if it was, if it had just been together for the last 40 years, I'm like, well, it's woke up awesome today, but you know, <laughs> at, at various times in all of our lives for being realistic, like our, our shit gets off the path or it gets a little fucked up. And that was part of it for me. I couldn't have it until like my shit was together. It took longer to get my shit together than I would have thought. Uh, even to the point of uh, just, dude, earlier this year, I got some like amazing brain therapy at a brain resiliency up in Dallas uh, through this charity organization. They like did some magnets and put me on like a carnivore diet and some other crazy shit. And uh, 
like two, three weeks later, I feel like a different human. Like I felt like I gained like 20 IQ points and focused like I'm in my 20s again. Uh, always, and it's still continuing to get better. But anyway, that was part of it too. So I actually wrote that book in like 35 days. Uh, Damn. Yeah. No, it was already in there. Already there. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't even really feel like I wrote it. I feel like I, I penciled it down. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is kind of a vision and a warning for, for how this can go. Uh, now I, I would prefer that it not go that way, but it's, it's definitely a glide path that we could very easily see ourselves on because there's no other way. If, if one side wants to play for blood, uh, and you are going to be free no matter what, well, this is the way it's going to have to go. I, I also think that those other forces that are perhaps in charge right now have drastically underestimated, like how, how bloody and, uh, and give it right back normal, you know, flyover country Joe can, uh, can be, uh, like they, they really do not, I think, understand who they're fucking with, uh, if it, if it goes to that. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's like a, a, a continued theme of the book is, uh, this would not be, this would not be easy, uh, for either side. It would not be a good time. Uh, it would be, it'd be hell on earth for a little while there. You know, no two ways about it. Yeah. And it's, you know, you talking about that the underestimation is is likely what makes unfortunately this possibility more real right i agree to, to fully grasp what that looks like it it you're not taking to the streets up in arms you right. know you're like protecting yours you're, you're yep. with your family you're protecting your people you're, you're you're thinking of logical ways and routes to of which to communicate like yep. how can i see it your way how can you see it my way how do we bridge the gap here you know right. and that's i think a lot of people right left down the middle i've been thinking about that like the the polarity the distancing that's taking place on both right. sides is like well how, there must be a way the pendulum swings both ways when's it going right. to come back center and we can actually connect on something right and um it may just be you know if, if it's to go well that we do allow fucking certain people to live exactly as they want and Dude, other people to I've live exactly n- as they want i have <laughs> no fucking problem with that yeah pretty much as long as you're not hurting children like you can go over to california and do whatever the fuck you want i don't care uh, but the minute that you know, you're going to force that on me or, or mine, like, well, now we're, now is a different thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I'm hundred percent with it, man. Uh, but I, I think you're, you're right there too. And that if you think about like a bully and the, the spectrum that they operate in, they always operate in a, an environment where they're not worried about getting hit in the fucking mouth. It, it takes giving that back to them to change that. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes by then it's too late. Right? Uh, you know, fights been committed to, and that's, I think we're looking at it on a national scale. If, if things keep going and you force the first of bloodshed to start, that shit is really hard to turn off. And this comes from experience all over the world too. You know, seeing it in the Balkans, seeing it in Iraq, all these other places. Once the, the bloodletting starts, man, fucking, it, it pretty much has to exhaust itself. Is, is yeah, there's goes. no real go back to work on Monday right. or, you know, call the sheriff. All, right. all that's gone. You know, it's, it's all yeah. gone overnight. Right. Yeah, it's, um, you know, better than I do. But yeah, just to, you know, right. having seen things firsthand, it's like that, that's, you know, it's a palpable feeling to understand what that is when you're yeah. there and like how it, you know, getting yeah. the story of how yeah. it happened and how it went down and then seeing how, what life looks like, yeah. you know, from that standpoint. Because yeah. most of us here have never experienced life any other way. Right. You know, dude, when we were, when we were in Iraq, uh, Iranian intelligence services and militias were still hunting down and killing Iraqi pilots from the Iran, Iraq war in 1986. Like as soon as we fucking kicked the door in to made it, made everything made the border like basically porous, 
They were back in Iraq looking for those guys and killing them at their fucking houses. All right. That's the level the rest of the world operates on. You know, that was by the time we invaded, that was 20 years ago by the time we invaded. That's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here. Like the minute law and order breaks down just enough for like scores to start getting settled, like hold on to your asses. <laughs> you know, it's, there's no stopping that train then. Yeah. Well, brother, uh, it's, 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 that's our hour and a half. I fucking, I love you. <laughs> I love having you on. We will definitely have you back on. Um, you're doing a lot of training with people and teaching people yeah. some of the skill sets and, and beyond that, you know, how to think and, right. and, and how to prepare. And I absolutely love that. I want to dive into much more of your work with you. You know, I'm certainly going to get out, not this weekend, but, but soon here with Tucker and the guys and be able to train with you. Where can people find you online? Where can people get a hold of you? Um, I've, I've got a website right now called Clay Martin Defense. Or we're actually getting ready to transition again. I have, uh, you know, the way things work out in life sometimes. I, I finally have some of my, my partners coming in. Uh, basically out of even like my military career of that, of that long, there's like five, six dudes uh, that I would trust to like be like a part of my thing, like at that same level. So because that we're changing the name, uh, you know, you know, how to, like as, as a man, you really want to put another man's name on your back. This is not how it works. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to actually dissolve that company and, uh, and start a new one, uh, which we haven't decided on a, a name for just yet, but that will be a, like a four-way partnership. And that also allows me to do a lot more. Cause now I've got, I've got some resources. I've got some fucking mass behind it. Uh, so right now you can find it at Clay Martin defense. we got a lot of other good things over there. We've got like a free guide to like, here's the shit you should buy if you need to like buy stuff. And it's, it's scaled. Uh, there's like the, the super Gucci option. The, like I have a little bit of money option. They're like, I'm fucking broke, but I need some shit like that option too. Uh, from, from all over the fucking place. Uh, the nice thing about doing that for, for free and, uh, and running things the way that we are, we don't get any kickback from that shit. So, uh, I, I have no incentive to lie to you about what's what. Uh, so that's great right now. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm, uh, I'm way off the res cause I'm on like my third account. <laughs> I, I can say now that Papa Elon took over. <laughs> Maybe I'll go back and get one of the other ones. I don't know. And, uh, also big this year, uh, going into 23, we're going to do a lot more training, especially now that I got the, the guys with me. We're going to do a lot more like hands-on training. I feel like that's the most important thing right now. We got to get the skill base up. The books are great. That's more like strategic guidance that'll help you like build a, a network and a tribe and that kind of shit. Uh, the other thing that we have to do right now is get the hands-on skills piece and also train people to be able to train their friends and coworkers. So yeah. get them to this level. They can make up reels to this level. That's how a, that's how a Green Beret expands. You know, suitcase full of money. We make this shit happen. Fuck yeah, brother. Fuck yeah. Thank you so much. Kurt. All right. I appreciate it, brother. Hell yeah. <laughs>